0: This week's episode is brought to you in part by Freshbooks. Freshbooks is the cloud accounting software that I use and I love. Using Freshbooks is the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly in your business. FreshBooks is simple, and even if you're not a numbers person, actually, especially if you're not a numbers person, you will love it and be able to use it easily. Outsourcing the stuff that you don't like or you're not as good at is the best thing to do for your business and in your life, and FreshBooks is like having a financial assistant in your business. I love FreshBooks, especially now during tax season. It really helps a lot. So, check out FreshBooks today for your business. You can get a 30-day unrestricted free trial by going to freshbooks.com slash let it out and entering let it out in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. Today's episode is also brought to you in part by Third Love. Third Love is a company that makes bras and underwear designed for the modern woman. When it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right size for you, and there's only one brand of lingerie that offers bras in size double A through G and they have half cup sizes and that's third love. Third love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit great and feel great. I love them and did you know that most bra companies only carry 15 sizes? Well, At 3rd Love, our friends there, they carry 60 sizes, including the half cup sizes. So find the bra that fits for you. There's even a Fit Finder quiz, and you never have to have that awkward fitting room experience again. They're just really great. I absolutely love them, and I'm so excited that they're a sponsor. This year, make the change that will change the way you think about bras. Go to thirdlove.com slash letitout now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash letitout. thirdlove.com slash letitout for 15% off your first purchase. Katie. Let it out with Katie, let it out with Katie Dillbout, enthusiast and curator of people and ideas, you need to hear. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Dillbout and this is my podcast i'm here in detroit actually in a little recording studio we made because i'm working on a special project that will be out i don't know hopefully really soon anyway today is a special episode because it's actually the last episode of the season after today i will be going on a very needed short three-week break from the podcast but don't worry It's a great episode today, one of my favorites, and if you're new, welcome! Each week I talk to creative, fascinating people about their work, their life, their relationships, spirituality, what they eat, what they do for fun, and we just connect and have these really long-form, organic conversations. But before we get to today's episode that's a long conversation and the last before the break, Please stay subscribed, or if you're new, subscribe so you can remember to listen when the new season returns. Because I'm going to be back and better than ever, things are going to be new around here. New music, new album art, new guests, of course, new discounts from brands that I love. I'm coming out with a new mini series, and so much more. I cannot wait for you to hear all of the changes and exciting updates that I'm making to the podcast. So if you aren't on my email list, make sure to join that. I send out a cool let it out letter every, I would say every week, but it's not. And I would say every month, but it's also not unfortunately, but every so often, hopefully I'll be doing it more soon. But anyway, it's this newsletter that I send out that's mostly a long form personal essay from me, plus links and meanderings to things that I've watched and listen listened to and eaten over the past month or so that I've really liked and want to share. So join that, subscribe on iTunes, and join the listener Facebook group. That's a great place to connect with other listeners and guests of the podcast and myself. And best of all, our Patreon page. You guys, the Patreon page is popping. We have special content going out there regularly now. I really enjoy the, the Patreon page. I like being on there. I like sharing things. And if you enjoy the show, if you find value from it, if it makes you feel less alone, if you like this episode, supporting the Patreon page would be really cool. Plus you'll get some really cool bonuses. In fact, there are are a lot of really cool bonuses that i want to tell you about right now one of them is that while we're on this break i'm actually going to be putting out a special episode for the patreon community exclusively that will be in the new format with a new theme music and have you know all these new bells and whistles so if you want to be the first to hear that before the three weeks that you have to wait until we be back get in the The Patreon community, it's the best, and you'll get to hear it early. So that's that. And then also, there's all these different levels for supporting the podcast, and the first five people to join the ambassador level will get a rebranded version of my Wonder fragrance. It's an essential oil fragrance that I got to design with one of my favorite natural skincare brands, Good Medicine, beauty lab a couple months ago actually i've had it for maybe over a year and a half now anyway they rebranded it and it's beautiful and i'm giving away five of them free to people who sign up so be on the patreon page that would be really cool anyway all right let's get to the episode since i'm leaving you for three weeks this is a very very maybe my longest yet episode of the podcast, and I was even maybe thinking about splitting it into two episodes, but I'll leave you with this. It's one of my favorites. It's going to leave a good taste in your mouth while I'm gone. You could even ration it and split it up over the next three weeks if you really wanted to. But this episode really hits a lot of notes for me. It's exactly how I want all of the conversations on this podcast to feel and be like. We talk about writing, creativity, relationships, how she knew that her husband was the one for her. That was one of my favorite moments in this episode. We talk about body image as we do usually on this podcast. It's such a great conversation. Today's guest is Deeni, the super talented copy director and essayist whose work has been featured in Vogue, Refinery29, and one of her essays was featured in the New York Times Modern Love column, which I love. This episode is great. We connected last summer over the internet and recorded this in I think October and Since it was long ago, there's a couple updates. She mentions that her episode of the Modern Love podcast version of the New York Times column is about to come out, but since this was recorded, it has come out, so the link to that is in the show notes. Definitely listen to it. We also talk about how we really wanted to go to dinner and become friends, and since this was recorded, we did get to do that. We had a lovely evening at Dimes having drinks and dinner Anyway, she's great and also I think I mentioned Greta Gerwig and how I was so excited to see Lady Bird and of course since this has come out I've seen Lady Bird twice and I did in fact love it. It's a great episode. I'm rambling now so let's get right to it. I love you guys. Please subscribe and keep in touch. I'll miss you for the next three weeks but you know, really I won't because I'll be in the Facebook group and on the Patreon page and hopefully I'll send you an email between now and then and I'll be back better than ever. Yeah, I, I've i been excited to meet you in person since we met on the internet and I've just been so excited to have you on the podcast and learn more about you and then it was yeah. so much fun. That's my favorite part of doing this and like I was saying before, I've been doing this since 2013 but it allows me and like yeah. forces me to be able to spend time with a person while I'm preparing and I like get to sit and read all of your articles oh. and I get to just kind of like sit with your work and That's I only so have sweet. on people I'm like so excited about and so it was just so fun to hang out with you on the internet and then now have you here. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, you
1: know you're technically, I think you're my first like internet friend
0: i was gonna say internet stalker i was like (laughs) what's the word you're trying to come up with? my first
1: internet friend like most of the people it's just not very often that i get to meet someone on instagram and then i get to be friends with them on instagram and then i get to meet them in person like later it's happening yeah it's happening i love it
0: before we forget i have you look first of all you look beautiful thank you i'm instagramming this setup we have here we got kombucha We've got lots of podcast devices. Cheers. Um, you have the most amazing skin. Oh, my God. Beautiful skin. I was just thinking that about you. Really? Oh, my gosh. Wow. I have a huge pimple right here, but it's uh, going down. I would have never <laughs> noticed it unless you had just
1: pointed to it. Oh,
0: I have a really bad habit of, like, when I have one coming on that's, like, nothing. Uh-huh. I, I just, oh, like, pick oh. it. It's, and it makes it worse.
1: I just went – to be fair, though, I got a facial – Yesterday, mm. so that's probably another reason. I do take very good care of my skin, I'm a bit of a fanatic about it, but I did just get a facial. So that Where happened.
0: did you what, go? Uh, heyday! Oh, Africa. they're so good! Yeah, it was great. They're so good and like easy to book with oh, and like so user friendly. Well, and I
1: used to work down at the World Trade Center, and so I was very familiar with the area, and I knew it was down there, but I'd never been. And so, um, I haven't been
0: to that one, but I've been to the one Flatiron.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. I do this every time I come to New York now as a tourist and it's like I might as well just open my wallet and run (laughs) down the block and like let my money (laughs) fly out because I come into town and I act like Daddy Warbucks and I just spend all of my money. Um, So yeah, I was like, I'm going to get a massage and I'm going to get a facial. Yeah. I am a freelancer. I should not. But, But to be fair... I know the things I like here, and I know what's good, and so I haven't had a massage in a really long time because I've been waiting until yeah, I can come back. Totally. I go to Massage Williamsburg, and it's just the best. Oh, I
0: should go there. I love it. It's so easy to get to Williamsburg from here. Oh yeah, and you used to live there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Where were I, you? I say used to live there. I so my this apartment wasn't going to be ready until oh. like a month after my. I, my apartment was uh-huh. taken in oh, okay. Detroit, so I was, like, I'm moving on June 1st, and this place that I found wasn't going to be ready, so I was, like, okay, whatever, I'll just get an Airbnb where I actually wanted to, uh-huh. to live, so I lived in Williamsburg, which was great, because, like, all of my friends live in Bushwick or, like, right. in Brooklyn, so that was really so you where... knew I'm...
1: people here? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Bushwick. I knew people here. Yeah. Like, my best friends from college live here. Where did you go um, college? Michigan State. To oh, okay. State School in oh, Michigan. Yeah. So I grew up in the same... Um, the same town as I went to college in. Uh, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, so I didn't even what? go away to college. I know. I mean, I didn't live at home, but I, yeah. I know. Oh, so you didn't was like live a big, at home. I didn't live at home, but, like, you were it was close. That's yeah, nice. I could walk yeah. home. But, yeah.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, so anyway, so this, it was, like, a great... Big move, like something I wanted to do forever. But
1: I love that you did that, even though you knew you were gonna have a long distance relationship.
0: Yeah. Well, I knew when I met him, I knew that I wanted to move, like immediately. So you that's like, like a whole. Yeah, yeah. That's kind. And I'm really proud of myself that I didn't yeah. not do it. Me too. Because I'm
1: proud of you. Thanks. That's so great. Thanks. I think if you, you're you just you're 26. 27. 27. I think, well, I was 27 when I met my husband, but I don't know, I think in my 20s, that's not true, by the time I was 27, I would have been, like, self-possessed enough to have done something like that, but definitely not before. I definitely would have been hindered um, having oh, been for in sure. a relationship when yeah. I was younger in my 20s.
0: Yeah, it was just, it was one of those things that, like, I, I always wanted to do, and I knew I was in this new relationship that I, it was actually really funny, like, our third date or like hang, we, we'd hung out like two times before this and we were, we'd been hanging, it was one of those like all day dates, you know what I mean? Like it was great, like we like did something and then we went on a really long walk uh-huh. and then whatever, whatever. And it was the end of the time we were hanging yeah. out. Like he had to be somewhere. So we were leaving and we talked about everything at that. That was the date where we like yeah. got to know yeah. each other, you know? Like we talked about our so parents, fun. we talked about whatever, whatever. And so the entire time I didn't want to say that I was moving to New York, because this was like pretty much done, like set in place. I was just like waiting for the time with work and with everything. But I just didn't bring it up because I was like, if I bring up that I'm moving, then he'll know I like him, you know? Right. And so I like didn't want to say it because you wouldn't just say that to a friend like, oh, I'm moving. Right. Oh, by the way. Um. Right so the whole date had happened and then we like hugged we said goodbye he had to leave and then I like walked I could like do a dramatization of this like I've like acted it out before it's better when I'm standing but anyway so I like walk away and then I look back and I'm like so I'm moving to New York (laughs) and he was like totally caught off guard and like in a rush and he was like wait what I don't know why I did that it was so weird and so he was just like oh okay cool like obviously I'm bummed but like good for you,
1: like, I gotta go. But and, now I, was, and you weren't even gonna, like, be able to follow it up with, with like, but I hope that we can still hang out. You no, know, like, no, it was like, oh, okay, bye. I'll it was
0: so strange, oh, and so I, like, I remember I got in my car, and I called my best friend, and I was like, okay, so you know that guy that I have a crush on, whatever, we've been hanging out, don't ask about it anymore. It's done. I definitely ruined it. So, like, please don't ask about it. I just want to let you know that, like, that's off the table now. I just did something really weird. Oh
1: my god. <laughs> it so was cute. So but you're still yeah. together. And then he,
0: like, texted me two minutes after that. And oh. then, like, yeah, it was are yeah, adorable. I Aww. love following your little,
1: like, love fest on your like, Oh my gosh. Stream.
0: Thanks. I'm so, like. And he's a
1: photographer? Mm
0: hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. We, okay, we have so much to talk okay. about. But I want to, I'm turning it back to you. So, Tell. Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? You grew up in the South, in Mississippi.
1: I am from Jackson, Mississippi, okay. from a small town outside of Jackson, and I lived there until I was eighteen, and then I went to the University of Alabama. Okay. I feel like when I say that, my I'm like, University of Alabama. Yeah, I
0: have. <laughs> I sense like a little bit of an accent.
1: Yes. Um. Well, I lived in New York for eleven years. Yeah. So I there was a thing that happened when I got here is I I moved when I was 22 years old and I was young and I mean, I was green, green as hell, just so fresh faced and you still are. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But you know, I was naive and just as you are when you're 22 years old, you're, you're young and you haven't experienced, you know, the sort of like anger and bitterness that you do once you live in New York for a while, and um, but that said, I so yes, I, I did come across as a young little babe, but I was blonde.
0: Then as are, well, still are um, great hair color, by the way, which we'll talk you about it. later.
1: To that, I know I was going to say that about your hair. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I was just very self conscious about people sort of underestimating me. Mm. I, cause I had this Southern accent and I was blonde and I smiled a lot and I was very friendly and it became clear to me pretty quickly that people sort of looked at me the same way they look at small puppies in a way that I did not like, you know, yeah. I felt, I felt like I was sort of being undermined and, and, and I was like, I moved to New York to get shit. I can't, I don't want to cuss. No, you can't okay. okay. feel free. I moved to New York to get shit done, you know, and to experience, you know, again, a life that I had never even imagined. You know, growing up in Mississippi and New York was... I I couldn't even fathom what that was like. Um, And I had known for a long time that I wanted to come to New York also. So when I got here, I worked really hard to get rid of my Southern accent. And I sort of... I don't even remember how I did it, but I just remember not embracing it, I mm. guess is a better way to say it. And then I got a job at this kitschy barbecue restaurant I, like, don't even want to say on the air, but it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful place, but it just, it has a very different reputation now. Well, maybe not, but it's very different now than it was when I worked there. It was the Brother Jimmy's. Okay. And, <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, I worked at I don't a, know what that is. <laughs> it's a very kitschy... Um, southern bar or okay. restaurant uh, it's owned by it's it's like a North Carolina bar you know how different bars in the city are. Totally. this is the Alabama bar or the, yeah you know there's Michigan like bar a bar. whatever yeah. yeah so it was a North Carolina sort of themed bar and uh, I went to work there and as a as a hostess and then a waitress and I don't know I just hated the way people, we like, oh, you're so cute, and that was not funny to me <laughs> at all. And I would, I would walk up to the table and say, "What can I get y'all to drink?" And they're like, "Oh, y'all, that's so adorable." Do they make you say that? And I was, no. <laughs> um, so I had a very sort of love hate relationship with my heritage in the South for a long time because I was also very proud to be from Mississippi and to be Southern. But I sort of hated the way that people assumed, um, just actually people made obviously huge assumptions about the South, people who'd never been. And, uh, so of course I I was torn between needing to sort of stand up for the South and stand up for Mississippi, but also being sort of horrified by what was happening in Mississippi and still does happen in Mississippi. And so it was this, I don't know, it was very complicated. So when I first got here, I was like, I don't want to have this thick Southern drawl anymore. And I worked really hard to get rid of it. And then after a few years, I was sort of like, forget about it. I'm, like, I'm t- I am I'm don't want to, I'm just going to talk the way I talk and I don't care how what people think about yeah. it. But by that point, I kind of already lost a little bit of the drawl. I still have it. And it depends also who I'm with. I mean, I, if I get on the phone with one of my parents, <laughs> i look. like, slip back into it real hard yeah or if I'm with one of my friends from the south it comes out or if I'm drunk it comes out Um. I was gonna say
0: it's that line in uh, Josh Radner's movie have you seen Happy Thank You More please
1: but I know about it from your podcast
0: well there's this line where the character her name is Mississippi and she's from Mississippi Uh and she has this line and I think his Josh Radner's character Sam says to her where's your accent and she's like it's there when I need it and like goes into it yeah, Kate, it's Kate Mara's character. It oh, awesome. Me of yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, the southern accent comes out, but um, it definitely, at this point, is, you know, I, I was in New York for so long that yeah. it, it's sort of like, it's a little neutral, I guess. I don't know. Different people pick up on it. Not everybody does, but some people are like, you have an accent. Yeah,
0: I see it a little bit. People are constantly telling me that I have a midwestern accent oh, really? since being here. That's funny. Yeah. I There's certain words. So, what was it like growing up there? What was your childhood like? Did you know... I know you used to dance. Did you know you wanted to be a writer? What was growing up there like? Oh, my
1: gosh. Uh, It was amazing. I had a really wonderful childhood, and I have really had a charmed life, to be honest. I mean... Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have one older brother who I'm very close to. How
0: many years Uh,
1: Five. He's five and a half years older than me. Okay. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I, I've always had a good relationship with my parents.
0: Are they still together?
1: They are. Um, and at times I have wondered <laughs> if they should be, but they have been on their own journey together <laughs> and, um, so they both still live in Mississippi in, in a suburb outside of Jackson and, uh, my brother now lives in Boston. Um, I was just there visiting him and he has two kids who I'm very close with and, Cool. um, and yeah, I've known my sister in law since I was 14. So, oh, wow. yeah, so I'm very close to them. And um, it was, yeah, growing up, you know, and I've, I don't think anybody knows when they're in it how great it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. I just, because it's all you know. Yeah, it's the same
0: thing when it's dysfunctional, too. I don't think you notice the dysfunction of life. Like, when I found myself in therapy in college, and someone else told me, like, that's a little bit weird. I was like, oh, I just thought that was, like, how people interact with each other. Everybody was. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're just unaware as a kid. Absolutely.
1: And that that realization definitely happened for me when I left the South. Like, that Mm. was a thing, leaving the South and then coming back to it. I. I was like, oh, wow, okay. You know, because you just don't know. You grow up around it. Of course. And you grow up around these things that are so normal or commonplace, and then you get away from it, and you're like, that is messed up. Yeah. Um, Or you go back and you think, wow, I was so fortunate, you know. And I, yeah, I just, I had a great, great childhood. Um, I was a chubby kid, as you may have seen in... Uh, my essay, and so that was definitely a thing that informed a lot of my life. Again, which you know, you who's to know? Like, right. how would you know at the time? Um, but then I, you know, grew out of that, and I was I was well liked. I mean, I was really friendly. You know, my mom, both of my parents, but but my mom in particular did a very good job of just always making sure that my brother and I were grounded, you know, mm. and that I, I very specifically remember a moment when I was a little girl and I was in the mall with my mom, as you do, and I saw this girl that I went to elementary school with and, or middle school or something like that, because middle school is so complicated and obviously kids are so mean. Um, nice and girl. I wasn't a mean kid, but I saw this girl that I didn't like very much. She was kind of annoying. You know, she was like, she was really hyper and she was like kind of spastic and like really goofy. And I think no one, I think people just didn't really know what to do with mm-hmm. her because she wasn't, you know, she was just had a lot of energy for her tiny little body. Yeah. And I didn't want to speak to her because I was like, I don't want to like say hey to her, you know, I was embarrassed or whatever. And I remember my mom putting the kibosh on that situation so hard. And she turned to me and was like, you are no better than anybody else. And don't you ever act like it. I know. And I remember, I mean, I was probably like eight or something, maybe nine. And I remember being so, I mean, obviously she was right. And it was, you know, just one of those moments where I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed in that moment that I had acted that way. Um, as you do sometimes when you're a kid, yeah. Or you know, sometimes as an adult, I guess. But anyway, I, I have amazing parents, and I and I have a great relationship with them. And, and as you know, it has evolved as all relationships yeah. do. Um, but it's always been good. And um, let me see. I feel like you had. Were more you a writer? You. No, I was not. Uh, so growing up, I wanted to be an actress. Mm. I to be a me pro- too. Oh, really? Yeah. I really did. You do musical theater. Absolutely. Of course. (laughs) Um, So I did, when I got into high school, I did forensics, like speech and debate. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a really big part. I did dance when I was in high school, but it was like competition jazz. I was, I did not um, go to, you know, a serious ballet studio. I actually was, my technique was never very good. And, um... But I loved to perform, I, I would sing, I sang a lot, I took vocal lessons throughout kind of my childhood and into my teenage years and, you know, did competition jazz and I did theater and uh, was in the plays. I was, let's see, in high school I was Patty Simcox in Greece. Oh my gosh. And I was Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. Oh my
0: gosh, And which is so fun. And I mean, yeah. I went to kind of a small
1: school. They wasn't. did
0: Little Shop <laughs> my freshman year of high school. Oh, really? And I, the quick story, I just told Nick, my boyfriend, uh-huh. about this. It was, I had gone to a Catholic school and then I like transferred to the public school so I knew no in my freshman year And I, but I did musical theater like in middle school my mom's like just go to the audition. I was like there's one role in that play like I'm not going to get it. It's going to go to a senior. Why am I here? And I was so intimidated and I left the audition like before my time because I got so scared. <laughs> so whenever I hear someone like talking about Little Shop I'm like oh my god that's so cool. Such the older good, kids. Such a good play. Oh it's amazing. That's For musical I guess. I'm, I'm very was I was already star starstruck when walked in but now it's like it's so on another level
1: um yeah and then I was Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz what? my senior year oh but like God. nobody can sing those notes like Judy Garland that was very tough for me so, that is
0: so cool so you that are, was like, my
1: trajectory very so, cool I went to college at Alabama and I you know my parents very similarly were you know my dad was Really into the idea that I would always be able to support myself; that I would yeah. never ever depend on a man to pay my way for anything. And he was really adamant that I go get a very sensible degree. As parents, yeah, you know only want the best for their children. Yeah, and they want us to be safe before yeah, happy. Yeah, exactly. And and I so I respected that, mm-hmm. and I I seemed like a good idea. I also didn't want to be codependent on other people. And, um, and then I got to college and I, so I was thought that I would study public relations cause I thought <laughs> I'm good with people and mm. there's some writing involved. And I liked writing when I was in high school. Um, I enjoyed it very much and I was always very, English was always my, my best subject. I was really, really, really bad at math. Like, I had tutors Me too. <laughs> all through high school. Like I just could, I was just irking by in math always. And Wow, a train of thought.
0: Well, did you when you went to college? Did you stop doing musical theater, or
1: were you? Oh, right. So I got there, and I I didn't intend to keep doing musical theater because by the time I got to college, I don't really remember. I think that I thought to myself maybe I would do some plays and some shows for fun, Mm -hmm. but that I wouldn't pursue that full time. And I got there, and I realized that I wanted to audition. I went through one semester in, in, as a public relations major. Because, you know, you don't really claim your major initially. Yeah, sort
0: of it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and then, yeah. You,
1: then you narrow it down. And I thought that I would do public relations, and I have a very short attention span. And I was just bored as hell. And I thought, there is no way... I will graduate if I have to go and sit in these lecture halls and listen to people talk at me. Yeah. I had a hard enough time in high school paying attention and, and listening and being an active participant. Um, and I just thought, I'm, I have to do something that I truly enjoy. And so I auditioned for the dance program, My uh, I guess it was at the end of my first semester. And I was not a great dancer. I I never was a great dancer. I was a good performer, I think. Um, But like I said, I I never... I I started ballet too late. You know, I just didn't have the technique that I really needed to to shine. But for some reason, these people clearly saw potential Mm -hmm. that I was not a total garbage person. And could, you know, like, pull it together. And so... I made the program, I started dancing, and because I felt like I, I was pretty far behind, I would go to Birmingham, which was about forty-five minutes away from Tuscaloosa where my college was, and I would take private lessons. Maybe once a week, twice a week, probably only once a week. Um, from a professional dancer there. Mm-hmm. And so I did I, I thought that was it. That, that was my um, that was my plan was to Honestly, I wasn't planning long, long term, but I thought this is a thing that I love. This is going to at least get me through college. I will graduate from college because I was a dancer. Um, And it was wonderful. I loved, I miss it very much. Um, And then I moved to New York to be a professional dancer. With that intention.
0: So that became your major? You abandoned... So that, that was movie. my that was my major. Okay. I was a
1: dance major and an English minor. And I decided that I didn't... And I did do a few shows. Like, I was in Ragtime. Um, and I really wanted to be in a chorus line. But it uh, coincided with uh, one of the dance performances that I did instead. So we had two major performances every semester. One was a student choreographed, student run show, and then there was the professor choreographed and, you know, the run by them, so um, so I loved choreographing, that was kind of the thing that, I loved performing, but again, like I said, it wasn't, and I, I, I wasn't, I, I talk about my dance career like I was terrible, It wasn't terrible, but I... I, And I knew at the time that I wasn't... That I was not ever going to be the star Mm -hmm. dancer of anything. Um, I was getting by. And... um, But I loved to choreograph. And I did it a few times in college. And then when I moved here, I actually choreographed a small thing at, like, a local show. And we performed this place in Times Square. And that was exciting. Um, But... When I got here, everybody told me that if I wanted to make money, that I had to do musical theater. And by that point, I'd kind of moved away from musical theater. I was really into just strictly dance, like the art of dancing. I did a lot of modern and contemporary dance because, again, my, my strength was never. I was never going to be a ballerina, and I danced on point. But again, I was not very good at it either. I got I like barely got by. And everyone said, if you want to dance, you have to do musical. And so I was like, okay, I'll I'll do that. So I started, I got a vocal coach again, and I started doing that. And I was going to Broadway Dance Center and taking classes, and I was temping um, to make money. And then eventually I started waiting tables. And I went to several auditions, and it just never felt right. It never... I never felt excited about it. And I think mm. a lot of that is just the culture shock of going from your community when you're in college and you get to perform, you know, twice a semester and you get to really dance your heart out every day and it's so rewarding. And then you come to New York and nobody cares.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and you're a big fish in a small pond. Yeah,
1: like, yeah, exactly. And so you get here and you don't have an opportunity to perform maybe ever because you have to be hired to perform. And, um, and I miss that so much. And I remember the day actually, this is one thing that I talked about on the, the life TK podcast, but the day I gave up, um, I went to an audition for Chicago and I, you know, am wearing the black fishnets and the red, you know, plunging v-neck leotard and my hair is slicked back and I have red lipstick on and false lashes and I am like ready to go and I show up and you know you go in you give your headshot on your resume and then you go into this huge room with all the people who are warming up and stretching and singing and I was always intimidated so intimidated by the entire experience I just hated it and um I remember it was like 8.30 in the morning, and one of the directors, casting directors, comes out and is like, hello everyone, I'm so sorry, um, but we can only see Union today, you know, can we see number 7, 30, 45, and, you know, 120. Um, thank you everyone, have a great day. And I just remember being so irrationally angry about it.
0: Yeah, because you put your false lashes I on. I put my false lashes on, you am I got
1: your going to f- fish nuts on. I-, I can't go to the grocery store, yeah. I can't go to the gym like this, so... I, that was the turning point that I realized I just didn't want it bad enough. I did not love it enough to slog through the shit. And so that was when I, that was officially when I quit dancing. I kind of drew it out for Mm -hmm. longer than I should have. I know I kept taking classes. It was, it was, it was so closely identified with who I thought I was. Yeah. And, um, I didn't know go. how to let go of that. And that was very hard. It was very hard for me because then at that point I thought if I'm not a dancer, then I'm just this girl who's waiting tables mm. and I don't have another thing, you know, mm. and not that waiting tables is bad by any means, but, um, most people, I mean, that in New York, you can actually have a career waiting tables and make very good money. But you know, at 23 years old and I'm working at this barbecue restaurant, that's not exactly the career that I was looking to have. And so I remember having a really hard time letting go of that. But, um, I don't know at what point I decided I wanted to be a writer, but I do remember one Thanksgiving, and this must have been like 2006 or seven, maybe And I was living on the Upper East Side with my best friend, who, a girl who's still my best friend, but the she's one from Valley. Mississippi and, uh, no, she's, she's uh, one of my best friends from growing up from childhood mm-hmm. and we were living together. And, um, I remember we hosted a Thanksgiving with some friends and I remember being really inspired to write something and, I think I just wrote about the experience of having all the people over and cool. sort of the smell and what we were seeing and who the people were. And I remember sort of creating this nonfiction narrative about the experience and
0: almost <laughs> like a journal entry, but
1: yeah. And it's kind of, I, I don't, do you ever read Elizabeth Gilbert's work? I'm obsessed okay, with yeah, it. She's, I mean, she's amazing. That's how I
0: met Nick, <laughs> which I'll tell you later. Oh, okay. I,
1: yeah. Um, but, you know, she call I can't remember what she calls it. But, you know, she has a name for that stroke of inspiration. Yeah, that you, She calls yeah. it like Gnomes or something. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember that. Um, and it was one of those things. It was like an outpouring of creativity. Cool. And I, I had to get it down on paper. And I was so alive. And, like I said, I had always written. And then I was an English minor in college. And so I um, was obsessed with um, F. Scott Fitzgerald and... I, you know, I had, I had my favorite, to be, disclaimer, and this is a terrible thing for a writer to say, but I'm not a very good reader. I know it's, like, the worst thing I could say. I just, (laughs) I try very hard, but because of that, I read a lot of short stories, and I write usually in essay form because I have a hard time writing beyond that, but. um, It's my favorite kind of. Yeah. reading. Yeah, I like a little snackable. Yeah,
0: me too. Pieces. I like eating snacks. I like reading snacks. <laughs> exactly. I just want I'm a little bit of not the novel everything. or the meal. <laughs> exactly.
1: And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I remember deciding that I wanted to be a writer and I was waiting tables at that point. I had stopped tipping. I hadn't been dancing for quite some time. And I just remember, I don't know. I don't know what ha- what made me think this. I don't, I can't trace it back to any one moment but I remember thinking all I want to do is be a writer and I want it so bad that I am willing to be the worst writer on the planet mm. I am willing for people to turn me away to insult my work like I am I want it so badly that I will do anything to be better all the mm. time and I still feel that way It's it, it, it was just this moment I had that I was like, this is the only thing in the world that I care so much about that I don't care how many times people tell me no, or they say this is bad, or this is stupid. I will keep writing and everything I do, every job I take from this moment forward, I will do it with the intention of becoming a better writer. And that that is how I began my journey.
0: (laughs) So, what happens next? so you're living in New York, you decide you want to be a writer, and then you know if we we cut to now you're a yeah. very successful writer. Thank I you. love your work, you have this amazing blog That's and platform so sweet i do not
1: feel like a successful writer at all
0: well you you are to me, and so, I love you. what you do with words and sentences, and thank I think you. you're so talented and I yeah. want to talk to you about that way more, but what happen next that your your writing actually gets seen after that first Thanksgiving thing?
1: Um. So I, <clears throat> when I was working at the bar, one of the girls who had been, you know, uh, she had been, she'd worked at Brother Jimmy's for a very long time. She owned a catering company and she was hosting. <laughs> this is so crazy. I feel like there's a, there's a, Select few people who may be listening to this that might remember this era, but it was when Justin Timberlake opened Southern Hospitality, the restaurant okay. on the Upper East Side. And it was right across the street from the Brother Jimmy's that I worked at, which is no which is no longer, which makes me very sad. And <clears throat> so she was hosting his uh launch party and or no no no, that's not that not his launch party. It was the launch party of a magazine. So Southern Hospitality had been there. It was relatively new. Is it still there? That is a great question. <laughs> I also haven't been to the Upper East Side. Somebody
0: yelled that and then uh, I get back <laughs> Someone to let us, us know if
1: Justin Timberlake's <laughs> restaurant is still open. Um, and it was this, it was like a Southern barbecue Got place. It. So, so it's
0: across it, the street from your kind Southern of, like, barbecue like across the street place. and a few blocks down. Okay,
1: and. So this magazine called Southern Beauty, which was based out of Birmingham, Alabama, was opening. I mean, yeah, they were, they were, had just launched and they were having their launch party at Southern Hospitality. That's what it was. And I, I don't know. I I don't know why I was so, um, oblivious. I mean, determined slash completely naive. (laughs) Which I guess is a good thing great in a combination,
0: point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Determined and naive. I was and so <laughs> Your I memoir. heard that
1: and my ears perked up and I go to my friend who who runs the catering company and I'm like, Can you introduce me to the people at this magazine? It's called Southern Beauty. I am
0: Southern I'm beautiful. (laughs) I love
1: beauty. Um, I would like to write for this magazine. (laughs) Mind you, I have no experience. I have no writing samples because the things that I wrote were not things I would have submit. Right. Um, Because I'm like 24 years old or something. And, you know, all I I knew at this point is that I wanted to be a writer. And I I didn't even know in what capacity. I didn't even think like, I want to be an editor or a journalist Or, you know, a fiction writer. No, I just was, like, writing in general, which is kind of how I still am. But um, I asked her if she would make an introduction to these people, and so she agrees. She finally introduces me to the people, and I am sort of like... Again, naive as hell. And I'm like, hi, you're a new magazine, and I'm a new writer. (laughs) (laughs) Let's team up. Don't you want to work together? And um, I basically... I mean, I think harassed is probably the right word, but I would <laughs> like to say it was like gently nudged them for about four months. They finally caved and agreed to let me write a... They agreed to let me interview a fashion designer um, named Jodie Arnold, and she's from Birmingham, and she lives in New York, and they're like, take it away. I had never interviewed anyone. <laughs> I did not know... any fashion designers in New York I didn't know anything about fashion I um, was completely oblivious but for whatever reason these people again thought that I could handle it and I interviewed her on the phone and I remember being so scared and intimidated again because I'm thinking my idea of a New York fashion designer when I'm 24 years old is like is mean and you know aggressive and I was not at that point aggressive I grew into that. <laughs> um, and I. she was so nice. She was so sweet and so lovely and gracious. And I write this article, which I am certain is total garbage. But <laughs> whatever the editor did with it, it was good enough to put in the magazine. And that was my... So then I published a print piece. And so cool. I'm over the moon. I have published my first piece in print. This is probably 2007 at this point. Maybe eight. Um... And so then, a girlfriend of mine who is a, she is now a very successful travel writer, um, but she had a very popular blog. And this is two thousand seven or eight when blogs did not exist. I mean, except for uh, Tavi, um, and then there were there was like a handful of blogs. It was like Style Rookie and a few others. Like this is back in the day of Daily Candy. Yeah, that was a thing that people really. Um, You know, the internet was so new. Yeah. And um, so she had been my roommate for a year. We met through Craigslist back when Craigslist was not super creepy. And um, I lived with her, and she saw that I had published this thing and she said, I can't pay you, but would you want to write for my blog? You could. She was not let yet, I mean, not living in new york anymore at that point and so she was like you can go to these events for me and you can write about them and you can do beauty reviews and whatever so i thought great so i did that for her she sends me on a this is such a long story i'm sorry this is it this is perfect this is just <laughs> we're telling your story oh it's so long um because so much happened uh, no this is great and she sent me to a round table discussion I can't even remember what it was about, and I sit next to a girl who was from a blog called DailySense.com, and she sees that I'm there on behalf of my friend, who is a pretty well-known blogger at that point, and, and also writer. I mean, she had worked at magazines for a long time, and so she had a, she had a great reputation. And she was like, oh, uh, we're looking for a beauty writer at Daily Sense. Are you interested? Uh, and of course I said yes, because I would not say no, even though I, at this point had no authority on beauty. I knew nothing about, I mean, aside from when I was a little girl, I would buy the, the Bobby Brown, um, beauty books and she's got several, but I just devoured them. I loved everything about them. My mom's side of the family is Lebanese. And so they've always been really diehard about skincare. And I just, I don't know, I just loved it. I loved makeup and creams and oils and so beyond that i knew nothing and uh but of course i said that i would love to be the beauty writer at daily sense and so they with very little like credibility they're just like okay great now you're the in-house beauty writer at at daily sense so my column was called beauty sense Mm. and they let me write about anything they let me write about blush that i was into they let me write about a new night cream that i loved i mean it was truly the wild, wild west of the blogging days, and I did that. it's Like now with podcasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, it was like marketing and PR companies had there was no there was no structure, there was mm-hmm. no strategy. People were just yeah. sort of like, I'll send you this thing, and maybe you can yeah. write about it. It's like, okay, cool, fun. Um, so it was like that back in the day, and I did that for a while. Um, from there, I eventually stopped working at the restaurant, and I decided that I probably should get a adult person job, and I...
0: And now you have enough experience writing that you have clips. So yeah,
1: I had do, Exactly. I had done some things that were, you know, quasi-credible. Oh, I went to work... For the fashion designer that I interviewed for the magazine circle so I went to work for her but they hired me as an in-house PR person (laughs) I didn't know at the time because I just thought well I again I'm good with people and I can write and Mm -hmm. sure I'll figure it out well I was a terrible PR person it was not a cup of tea and I found that out very quickly so I only worked there for about nine months, and it was it was not a great situation. But I figured that out. I did learn a lot at that job. I had a boss who was constantly, um, I want to say, throwing me to the wolves. Might be a bit extreme, but we would be in meetings that I did not think that I was leading, and he would sort of be like, "Okay, Dini, why don't you take it from here?" <laughs> and I would just like. <laughs> eyeballs wide and I'm like what? Uh, And so I just was constantly having to just like up and run and sort of like bullshit my way through these presentations and meetings which was... It's actually a good skill. Yeah, terrifying (laughs) at the time. but actually turned out to be a great thing um, because I I guess I was convincing enough um, to where I didn't sound like an idiot, I think. Yeah. Maybe not. Um... But anyway, so I went to work for the fashion designer. I did that for about nine months. Um, and that then I thought, okay, now I need something stable, something... Um, and again, I remembered my promise back when I had been 25 years old. And I thought, every single job I take now, it it must be a job that makes me a better writer. Hmm. So, But it also has to be a job that pays my rent and keeps me afloat. And at this point, I was... 26 years old, and um, I just, you know, I just never had enough money. I just never really felt like I was, I always felt like I was living outside of my means. Um, Which is just New York, I feel like. Yeah, which is New York to a degree, and also um, it was difficult because when I was working at a bar, all of my contemporaries were getting interns at, were interns at magazines, and so they had all this experience that I was incredibly intimidated, intimidated by because I thought, well, I've never worked in a magazine. I don't know anything about what that's like. I, I worked at the front desk at some places, but I just had no idea. Um, and there were so many people in mean, this whole time that I was working at a bar, there were, I was waiting on people, you know, I was serving people that worked, that were my age, but were working these corporate jobs. And I just thought they had so much more experience than I did and they knew so much more than I did. Um, but I got a job as a fashion copywriter at Bloomingdale's.com. Um, you know, like I had a, like a friend of a friend worked there and again, I guess my resume wasn't awful and they gave me the job. And again, that I, I had never, I didn't have any copywriting experience and I didn't intend to be a copywriter. Um. But I thought, well, this way I get to work with words all day, and I get to play with sentence structure and tone, and this will be great. Um, Mm. In retrospect, I, I sometimes wish I had done something, like gone to work for a publishing company and sort of learned the ins and outs of publishing and that sort of thing, but that's just not the way it worked out. I thought, I have experience in fashion. I came from a fashion label. I did minimal copywriting there. But again, no one ever like told me how you're supposed to be a copywriter. I kind of just learned on the job yeah. and I made so many mistakes when I worked at Bloomingdale's. Uh, I was really learning as I went and they were very patient with me. Um, but I worked there for about two years and fashion copywriting, while it is consistent, it is also monotonous mm. and I was ready for a little more creative freedom, um, and so from there, I went to Bon Appetit magazine. Um, again, you know, sort of like knew a person who knew a person who passed my resume along. And cool. I was at Bon Appetit for, as a copywriter for two and a half years, which was a great experience. And from there, I went to Vogue. And then I was the copy director at Vogue. So by that point, I felt... I mean, even when, when I was offered the position of copy director, I still was... I mean... I, What does that
0: mean exactly? So are you still writing or are you editing at that point? I
1: am. I did everything. Okay. Uh, I was a team of one. And it basically means that I called all the shots when it came to uh, the copy. So I worked with the marketing team. I was on the business side of the magazine. And I still freelance there and, and do this work as well. But direction, I mean, I guess the difference between direction and writing is that I do write and edit uh, content, but I also have a lot of um, sort of accountability and responsibility to brainstorm and ideate and come up with concepts, creative concepts. So I would brainstorm with the whole team.
0: So that gave you that creative freedom you really didn't have. Exactly.
1: So it was great. um, But all this time, I... As much as I love um, and grateful to have a marketable skill that I can make money from, you know that wasn't the only thing I wanted to do. You know, so many people that I was working with there, like that was their life. Their life was just working a desk job um, at Vogue, and that was it. And you know, they had their hobbies and they had their families, but there were no other side projects. Whereas. It wasn't hitting all your notes creatively. Yeah, I've been working on side projects for a decade. So I you were blogging throughout that entire time. So I've been time. blogging. I stopped blogging for a little bit at bloomingdales.com because they were sort of weird about um, they were weird about you having side projects. Or when I was there, at least mm-hmm. they were. And I regret that I did that because I lost a ton of contacts. I lost a ton of momentum. And then when I re-entered the blogging world two years later, it has shifted dramatically. Yeah. And I did not expect that because who knew blogging? Um, so that had changed so drastically that I didn't really know. And I never really felt like I caught back up because then once I started finding a rhythm, there became the super bloggers, you know, yeah. and then bloggers were rising to like great fame. And I was sort of like, what? Um, so that is something that I've definitely struggled with as to how much time I allot to this blog and to um, my creative work. So I knew all this time while all of this was happening. I knew that I wanted to write nonfiction. I knew that I wanted to write essays, writing about my life experiences and writing about the people in it is just the thing that comes most naturally to me. I don't want to say that it's the thing that I'm best at, but it's the thing that I have most experience doing. And I, um, I'm passionate about it. It, it, is, it is truly the work that just lights me up like a flame. Yeah. And it is also agonizing, as I think as any writer with yeah. <laughs> any creator would agree that there's just so much anguish and that you are constantly doubting yourself. And <laughs> my brother sent me a meme once and it said, being a writer is like riding a bike. Except you're on fire, and the bike's on fire, and you're in hell.
0: That's so funny. Or it's like that quote. I think it's Joan Didion of, I like having written, not writing. Yeah.
1: Well, you know the funny. God, I don't. Maybe the messed up thing is that I actually enjoy the process of writing. Mm-hmm. I sometimes enjoy the process more than I enjoy the finished product. Because once I finish a piece, I want to forget about it and I want to move on. Yeah. I don't really want to relish in it. I I just, I feel like there's always so much more to be written. And so.
0: I feel like that's how you know it's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I'm writing, I am in hell. (laughs) It is the most tortuous, torturous experience, but I'm also present, like flying. Yeah. I love it so much. And I... Because you know when you're writing and it, what so often happens, you know, you start and you put down a sentence and you're like, oh, this is so dumb. Nobody's going to want to read this. Oh my God, why are you a writer? I hate you. You're awful. You know, you like immediately fall into this just hole of self-deprecation so yeah. quickly. But then you get past it. Mm-hmm. You slog through it and you you quiet the demons in your mind and... um And then when you nail that sentence or you nail that paragraph, it's, I mean, it's the greatest gratification that I've ever had in my life. And so that is the thing. So I do enjoy the writing because I enjoy those tiny victories of when I actually am able to put into words the thing that I'm so desperate to say. Yeah,
0: like you get the inside of your brain out for other people to
1: and then you do it and you manage to do it with the right structure and the right tone and the right words and and then you have to write another sentence you know it's like so intense but um
0: do you still get satisfaction from that being seen and read and the reaction to
1: it oh my god absolutely well it's funny because you know when I was younger I, I wanted to be a performer and I wanted to be in the spotlight yeah and then this evolution happened where I realized I did not want to be in the spotlight I then sort of became very uncomfortable being on stage. Um, and, and I became uncomfortable in front of people. It's funny because I am a very social person and very talkative and animated, but the minute someone asked me to get up in front of people and start talking, I can do it, but I kind of prefer not to, which is so strange because I was not that way when I was younger. I was a total ham. I wanted to be the center of attention all the time. Yeah. And so when, I don't know, that evolution happened. And then I realized that being a writer, I was much more comfortable sort of taking my thoughts and ideas and crafting them behind the scenes. Um, I lost my train of thought, but basically I... You're
0: getting seen in a different way. Like, we all, as humans, have the need to be seen. And so that... I was asking if you still get the satisfaction from the work being out in the world.
1: Yes. And so well, so that, I guess, was sort of what kept... I kept these side projects because while I enjoy um, copywriting and I enjoyed... And even the whole time I was at Vogue, I mean, my job at Vogue was the best desk job I've ever had in my life. I worked with outstanding people. It is an obviously outstanding brand. It, it was um, a very gratifying corporate job. But deep down, I didn't really ever want to work a corporate job. Like, I never right. even wanted to work a desk job. I just did because I knew that I had to. Means I mean, soon in. To live. Yeah, and, um, completely. And, and now like... I've made a career of being a copy director, which I love because yeah. I get... Now I work with small brands and startups, and I still work with Conde Nast a lot, and I get to develop cool ideas and they actually have money to do things with them and that is really fun so that has that has definitely become a part of my identity um, is like working with brands and marketing and branded content and that kind of thing but it all leads back it allows
0: to, you to do the other work
1: it allows me to do the other work and it also always comes back to a story and that I think is why I was able to love being a copywriter and director so much is because it doesn't matter if I'm selling soap or cars (laughs) or lipstick, if there's a charity involved or not, everybody just wants a story. And you know, the way that you craft that for a marketing campaign or for a novel is equally as important, you know, and granted there's, uh, they're very different. I mean, obviously the, the sort of intricacies of those that that work is very very different but um at the end of the day it's just about a, people just want to connect and yeah. that for me is the i have all i want in life is to connect with people it's like mm. the thing i don't know why i have no idea you would think that maybe i'd like had some sort of experience in my past where i was I deprived of connection. I, I think that's human
0: nature i mean uh, that's all i want too yeah you know, I mean, I think we all just want to be seen and connected because that's when we're most present Yeah. And when we're connecting. I mean, that's why I do this is because for the two hours that I'm doing this, yeah. I'm with someone with our phones off and I have to pay attention because if I start to not pay attention, yeah. I sound stupid, you know, <laughs> like I, we lose the train of whatever this is, yeah. wherever this is going. So... It forces us to be present and connect, yeah. and like that's I think what we're meant to do as human beings is like that's why we're here. Yeah, you know.
1: And that that for me is the gratification of, and that's it. It's like everything I write. There are always people that don't care, and there's people that don't like it, and there are people that think it's stupid, and um, you know, like actually I don't know if we talked about this on Instagram, but. When I never read the comments on Mm. anything. I just have learned better. Because you cannot please everyone. I just, it's a shame that there are so many internet trolls. Um, And, you know, I'm not even um, sort of well-known enough to be attacked enough. But it doesn't matter. Even on tiny little levels, people still want to say me. People will go out of their way to write a negative comment. It's like, well, if you don't like it, just and be you, quiet. You don't have to yeah. read it.
0: <laughs> Talk about you, what you love. Keep quiet about right? what you don't. You know, I just, yeah. I,
1: that has never made sense to me. Um, but anyway, that's the world we live in. Um, but I did have to laugh because when the Soul Tattoo article came out, Refinery29 had posted it on their Facebook page. And so it pops up in my feed and I see it. And I did not purposefully read the comments. But, you know, some, some of them just populate yeah. up yeah. top. One of them just said, snore. Oh my god! And I was like, oh, I mean, at least it wasn't super hateful. Even though I was like, I can't believe this person like actually took the time to type that. But I was like, that is kind of a funny thing to say, I guess. If you didn't like it, she thought it was boring, obviously. But
0: um, she's not winning any creative writing awards for <laughs> that comment. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: But um, it could be. It could have been much worse. Um, but anyway, I guess my point is. This whole time that I have been working corporately and even now as a full-time freelancer, you know, my my ultimate goal has always been to write essays. I hope that one day I can write a longer form piece. I have not learned really how to do that yet. Um, But while I was at Bon Appetit and at Vogue, I did start publishing um, essays and that was kind of my little baby steps. And then in 2014. Fifteen, I published a an essay in the Modern Love column. I was
0: just gonna talk about that. Yeah, Perfect. and
1: that was a major. Yeah, what um, was that moment like
0: for you? Oh
1: my gosh!
0: First of all, congratulations! Thank you. It's so good, and everyone needs Thank to read you. it. And there's even like an animated little video with you narrating it, right? Yeah, and, and it's
1: wonderful. It, it's, that it's was really so, fun so to good. It was so fun that they wanted to do the video animation. Um, it's
0: wonderful we'll have the link in the show notes oh thank you what was that experience like editing it and oh my
1: god uh getting it published this was so i guess in 2014 i had actually never even heard of modern love which i'm so embarrassed to say that um and I was my husband I was um, gonna
0: ask if it was a dream of yours because
1: it wasn't at all. I just knew so I had been wanting to tell that story for a very long time because it, it happened to back story. in like two thousand nine or something. Or, I mean it happened for over the course of three years, but my Ooh. grandmother passed away in two thousand nine, I believe. And I maybe it was eight. Maybe my grandmother anyway. Um these are the reasons I, like, Mom, when, <laughs> what year did Granny and Grandpa pass away? Yeah. Um, but I had been wanting to tell that story for a very long time, and I had a very hard time doing it because, you know, when you're just too close to a situation mm-hmm. or a circumstance, like, you can't pull back enough to have perspective and really, to really help other people understand the perspective of the situation. And so I had started it multiple times, and I finally... It was December of twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen was a crazy, crazy year for me because I started at Vogue. My husband started a new job on Broadway. We started the same week actually yeah. at our new jobs, which were you know complete different um, schedules. schedules and uh, and then we got married in twenty fourteen, so we were planning a wedding and there was, was just this, like a whole nother full time job. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It was just so much happening and I had really not been focusing on my writing in the way that I wanted to, uh, because I was always sort of putzing around. Sometimes I would pull up a Word document and even if I was slammed at work, if I had five minutes, I would pull up my document and I would jot down a couple of things, inspirations or thoughts that I was having or dialogue that I wanted to pull back into a story and I would minimize it. And sometimes that was all I got to do. Sometimes... Mm a lot of my work is waiting for other people to approve something or to give me a direction on something. And so if I had a moment like that, I would jot down some things. So by the end of 2014, I was like fed up with how little I had focused on my creative writing that year. And I was like, forget about it. I'm going to write this story. I'm just going to, I'm sick of it. I'm going to write this story. I've got to tell it. it. The time is now. And thankfully December in the publishing industry is very slow. I should probably not be saying that on air, but if you work in publishing, you probably know that December is slow because the January and the February books are never as big as the holiday, you know, as the. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously at Vogue, the September issue is massive. So our summer at Vogue is insane because we're prepping for September, but then, you know, by the time you get to December, people are winding down. I think
0: you. in a lot of careers, yeah, and you've got or... all
1: the holidays and people are ready to, to take vacation. So I started writing this essay, and um, I, oh God, I just wrote and revised it a million times, and I started, (laughs) my poor friends, uh, one of my very good friends, now she works at O Magazine, but at the time she was at Bust, and she read it for me. One of my very good friends is now a managing editor at... Playboy, but he used to be the managing editor at Paper. And then a handful of other writer friends of mine, I just would email them and be like, please read this. Please give me your feedback. Um, oh, another one of my girlfriends, she, at the time... This was, is about the Modern Love piece. The Modern okay. Love piece, yeah. Uh, at the time, she was a managing editor at Harper's Bazaar. And so I just, every writer person that had experience editing, had you know an objective eye and was able to help people craft stories, basically. Yeah. I was like, please. I, and I asked them too many times um, to read it and edit it, but they all were amazing, and they gave me amazing feedback. And I cool. just... So over, I, it basically took me four months. So um, it almost
0: became this beautiful collage of, like, really talented writers' opinions yeah, on your piece. absolutely. And and starting with such a beautiful story.
1: And I had been... I do. I feel like comedians do this a lot, which is why I love listening... To um, comedians, tell stories about their process and yeah, um, me too. And
0: they workshop things. Yeah, and I did the stage. same thing. I would
1: go. I would tell the story mm, about my grandmother and cool. about Nick at parties, and I would take these mental notes about when people laughed and when they felt yeah. endeared. How they that, how'd that do? Yeah, you Did know, exactly. Yeah. Like, you could tell when people were really moved yeah. or you could tell when something, they didn't really care. Storytelling. Yeah, and so I started to take mental notes on that, which actually, so by the time I wrote it, I had a pretty good idea of the beats that had to make the story. You mm-hmm. know, people love this part or whatever. And uh, so I submitted, um, and... Oh, I submit it because what I was saying earlier... Because you didn't know what the... Yeah, I didn't know about, it And I was, again, telling the story to a friend at a party. And she said, oh my God, this sounds like a modern love piece. And I was like, what is that? And she's like, oh my God, the New York Times. Like, you have to read it. You would love it. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. I don't know why I don't know about this. Mm -hmm. And obviously I looked it up. Um, And what I had done over the course of those four months while I was writing the piece is I had just basically stalked the entire modern love column and i had read so many pieces and i i just i wanted to edit the essay in a way that was so easy for them to say yes i and so i cool. mimicked their structure oh that's so smart i yeah because i just thought well if they generally do 2 to 3 sentences in a paragraph i'm going to do 2 to 3 sentences so in a smart. paragraph And also just sort of studying the tone of of all the stories, you know, because they're not overly dramatic. They're just great stories. Yeah. And so I did that and I submit it and I um, did not expect, again, you know, you put these things out into the world and you don't really expect anything to happen. I had my backups. I had these other publications that I thought maybe I could submit it to if the New York Times said no. And then I get an email from Dan Jones, I want to say it was in February, you know, and it pops up in my inbox and I'm at work. (gasps) And, you know, you open the email and they're like, oh, we'd love to publish this story. We don't have anything quite like it. Thank you. Wow. And, you know, you like look at the email and then you sort of look around to be, (laughs) (laughs) is this this real? And then I read it again and again, just to make sure. I'm like, I I think he said yes. I just want to make sure. And, uh, and then that was it. It was just, I, 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 called my brother because my brother is a huge champion of mine and uh, always challenging me to write better and write more so and cool. dig deeper. What does and he do? He is a law professor. Okay. Um, but he, he writes a lot. He writes academic papers. He is also just publishing his first book. Oh, cool. It's about privacy and data, all things that I do not write about. Yeah. Um, he, Congrats yeah thank you yeah and but I you know I called him and uh, and obviously called my mom because it was just such a special story yeah. you know it was everybody was so obsessed with my grandmother mm. she was so wonderful
0: what a beautiful moment for your family because it was about your grandmother and then you're getting yeah. you know this huge opportunity as a writer that yeah. people dream of and that was like I I know for me like this is a completely on a much smaller scale, but I think sometimes we need these moments or these weird awards. Or, the, like, when I got my book deal, it was like, Oh, I can keep going with this, yeah. you know? And it was Someone like, it, This was
1: okay, yeah. It
0: legitimized <laughs> my work in a way that not everyone needs, but mm-hmm. I needed, especially at the time, to be like, Oh, I should do this thing that's a hobby on the side because Absolutely. somebody else says that it's okay, you know? Yeah,
1: I know, and I, um. Oh, what was I going to say about that? That Oh, a couple of things that made me think of is I've, I've just started reading Bird by Bird by Anne Lamotte Oh, so good. And my friend Molly, who is one of the girls that helped me edit this this the Modern Love essay, she recommended it to me. And I think, I want to say it's what I just read. And she said something about seeing your work in print, is it's like it's proof that you're alive mm. or something like that. It's proof that you exist. And I just... I don't know. I love that. And I also, this is sort of deviating, but I am almost positive it was on this podcast with Josh Radner, where he talks about the cultural gatekeepers and how Mm. people, um, and how he sort of refused to believe that good art had to be sad or, um, yeah. you know, extreme or whatever. And anyway, that really spoke Elizabeth Gilbert
0: talks about that in Big Magic, too. Oh, she does. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I Have you seen the Joan Didion documentary yet? I haven't. You, I think you've really heard about like it. it. Yeah. Yeah, really good. I haven't really seen it good. yet. You would like it a lot. Yeah. Also, while you were talking about the beginning of your story, I kept thinking about Frances Ha. Have
1: oh, you no. You haven't seen it? I'm a really, really bad movie watcher. You... My husband hates this about me. Okay, well, <laughs>
0: anyway, it, it's one of my favorite movies. I love Greta Gerwig, and her uh-huh. newest movie, it was great. Lady Bird, I haven't seen it uh-huh. yet, but um, it reminds me of the what we were talking about at the beginning, too, about, so she is from Sacramento, uh-huh. and so this movie, Lady Bird, I just listened to the Fresh Air episode of uh-huh. Terry Gross interviewing her as I was walking back here. But basically she goes back to Sacramento mm-hmm. and shoots this movie there mm-hmm. and goes back to her hometown and she's, you know, lived in New York and it, it talks about that really special, interesting thing of you grew up in this place, you had to leave it, but coming back is so interesting and complicated and the relationship with a girl and her mother and shopping oh, and like all the things yeah. we were talking about. And so anyway, I'm I'm like dying to see it and, to, yeah, like it and I feel like and Frances Ha is a it's Wonderful! It's so good. It's all black and white, and she co-wrote it and stars in it. And it's about a dancer moving to New York. And there's uh-huh. this line in the movie that's one of my favorite lines ever, where she says, "Somebody asks, you know, oh, what do you do for a living? As we do in America." Uh-huh. And she was like, "It's complicated." And and the person's like, "Why?" And she's like, "Well, because what you do is hard to understand." And she's like, "No, because I don't really do it." And she was a dancer, so yeah, it's just kind yeah. of that same thing of when you're in your 20s trying yeah. to navigate what is it that you're doing, What do you even, getting clarity on what it oh, is that you want to do yeah. and focusing on it, and then once you kind of figure it out, you're not sure because you don't have the opportunity to do it professionally and Absolutely. navigating that. And so that's why I think what you were saying, it was so windy and so twisty and turny. so, so long. I'm sorry. No, it was amazing. It's a long story. But I think it's really relatable because you know, it's so inspiring for me to hear your winding journey. I hate that word. It's so overused, but your, it is definitely a journey. your interesting trajectory of how you got to what you're doing now. And yeah. anyway, I just think and it's inspiring. I feel
1: like I haven't even made a dent is the reality in it. I, I feel as much I mean, I'm so honored to be here and to be on this podcast, but, you know, the reality is I don't feel like I have done anything worth talking about at this point, you know? And that's really
0: great for you to say, too, because to me, you're, like, this so prolific and doing such great work, and and I connect with you so much, and I think there are people, and I don't feel like I've done anything, but I think there are people listening who would be like, oh podcast's pretty cool you know so it's yeah. just like we all it's all this internal totally. dialogue that we have that and it goes back to us just not feeling good enough and wanting to connect yeah. and like wanting and like to like be Imposter okay in the world yeah syndrome of being like
1: yeah. going to realize that i'm actually like a total idiot i am a garbage like woman and not in the sense of like that sounds terrible picking
0: up trash not yes. in the sense yeah
1: i don't yeah. mean it like that at all as in just, like, a Yeah, just the self-talk that we have like, that is
0: can be so negative.
1: Yeah, and because in my mind, I have really big ideas of what I want to do. I have these great goals that I want to accomplish with my writing, and so I'm like, ah! I mean, I'm currently working on a collection of essays, you know, I'm currently dabbling Amazing. in fiction, which is something that I am probably not very good at, but you know, it feels like I'm just taking my first few breaths. Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay. I have a million questions I want to ask you and I feel like we should talk about your, I want to know about your writing processes and rituals and all of that. What was the transition to becoming a freelancer fully like and how did you handle that mentally? Great question. Um,
1: so I had been sort of, fantasizing about being a freelancer, which I also felt like a crazy person for doing because <laughs> I had so much stability and, uh, you know, 401k yeah. and my dad would be very proud about that.
0: I'm like in that right now. Yeah. So, I, and it's
1: great. Look, there is a it's lot hard to, to be said for, um, and you know, I worked a job that I went in at 8, 45 or 9 I left between 5 and 6, and I did not think about work until the next day. And there's a lot to be said for that. Um, again, that was the best desk job I ever had. But, uh, you know, my husband took a Broadway tour, and we gave up our apartment in Brooklyn because we just felt like there was no point in paying the rent on an apartment that he would not set foot in for yeah. nearly 10 months. But anyway, so we listened to a ton. Of you made it weird, which I also uh, know you yeah. listen to. Yeah, I
0: was just at Pete's wedding. Oh, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, how
1: do you know Valerie?
0: She did my podcast. Oh I, my god, just, yeah, that's I just, I just get people to be friends with
1: me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also follow her. Um, <laughs> she's the best. Yeah, she seems adorable. Yeah, she's she seems like a real cutie. The, the like one of the coolest. People and I also I love Pete Holmes so much that I just refuse to believe that he would be with anyone other than like an amazing yeah. woman. It would be such um, a bummer. Yeah, I love. You made it weird is one of those podcasts that I have gone all the way back to the beginning mm-hmm. and listened to. Not all of them because there's a lot, so but many. I have listened to a lot of the early ones. Yeah. Anyway, we always listen to a couple of episodes of You Made It Weird, and they can be pretty long. I yeah, link the, Super you know, long. Was great we listened to the one he did with Joel Furman um, dr. Furman uh, who writes um eat to live mm-hmm. <laughs> and the whole ride we had been you know sometimes when you're taking a road trip you're like I just want some kind of like just trashy fast food, because we never eat fast food like, yeah ever and occasionally we'll be like oh because he used to eat Taco Bell as a kid. He's like, we need to go to Taco Bell. So this whole trip, we're driving, and we were like, let's definitely stop by Taco Bell. We're going to be so disgusting. We are going to be so gross and just eat, like, the cheesiest, most processed, and then you like, listen to chemical-based quesadilla. And then we listened to that episode, and my husband was like, I can't go to Taco Bell after that.
0: That's so funny. Uh, yeah. So it really... I think that was the one Val told me that, like... He was a little bit intense. Like he, she told me, like don't listen to it. It's not going to be good for you. Like don't just don't <laughs> listen so to funny. it. Like I
1: love it. It's my favorite podcast. Me too. I mean, this but is that my episode, life, she
0: she's like, it it's weird. not going to be good for you. But
1: I love Fresh Air, and I always want to listen to it. Like she's everywhere. amazing. And my husband, he's just like he's like I don't really like her voice. I'm like <laughs> what? Come on. He's like, eh. He's very sensitive to sound.
0: That can be. He has misophonia. Have you heard of that? No. It literally is translated as hatred of sounds, and it's a specific, it's an actual condition where people, some people have, like, this aversion to certain sounds. Like, I think I have it, like, I hate the sound of people eating hard candy, and, like, there's certain sounds that, like, make me
1: cringe. I would not be surprised if he had that, because as a musician, obviously, his ears, like, his sound is, is everything to him, and so there are just certain noises that he cannot Handle. Yeah. I mean, there, and a lot of them are sound. I mean, I love Terry Gross's voice, but he's, I am like, okay, I respect your opinion. Um, but so I listen to Fresh Air on my own. Yeah. All the
0: time. My friend Jess Murnan has a podcast and she did an entire episode on Misophony because she has it so much. And there was a documentary about it and she had the guy who made the oh God, documentary. I have to watch that. Yeah. I'll send it to you. I'll send you Yeah. To a song.
1: lot of the sounds that he hates are objectively offensive sounds like you know if there's like a screeching or like the pulling of a chair across yeah. the floor like things like this but his reaction is so visceral whereas I'm I sort of think that's unpleasant but he just like, yeah skin crawls that's so interesting yeah but anyway um, okay writing processes freelance I went freelance oh yes yeah, um from Vogue because this seemed like the best opportunity to do it you know my husband was going to be working full time and I felt like it was now or never yeah. because I had always been too afraid to be a freelancer when I lived in New York. Cause I just, I was always trying to keep my head above water. I was always worried about, um, how I was going to pay my rent and to be fair, um, I probably could have done it if I were more financially conscious. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I just knowing me, I knew that I needed a little bit of this, um, safety net which was my husband having a job yeah. um, and we gave up our apartment so I didn't have a rent to pay so for the first time in my life I had very little overhead you know I pay for a billion plane tickets <laughs> that's the majority of where my money goes. that's your rent yeah I mean exactly that is my rent um, and, and then of course the transportation often to and from the airport and getting around the city I mean I was in LA for a month without a car I should probably own stock in Lyft because yeah. I just paid so much money um, to get around there um, but I, I needed uh, I needed that security of knowing that we wouldn't starve because at least my husband would be making a regular paycheck yeah. and um, so I, I took the, the opportunity to go freelance. I feel so fortunate
0: to so have, how long
1: ago was this? That was September of last year okay so this was 15 months ago basically. And um, we moved out of our apartment. We have some very dear friends that let us stay with them for a month while I um, finished up at Vogue. And Tim was... Because we had to move out over Labor Day weekend, just logistically. And we stayed with them for a month in Brooklyn. And then my husband flew to San Francisco, and I met him there a week later. And that began my freelance life and living out of a suitcase for 15 months. And it was... Um, it was hard at first, I mean, even though I was so excited, I get to San Francisco and that was my first city, you know, the first city of the tour, that was where his show opened on the tour and, um, I was, you know, had gone, even though this was something that I had wanted for years was to have the flexibility of being a freelancer, but it was October at this point, so things were really starting to slow down in my industries, um, and it just takes a while, like it takes a minute to, and I was all over it. I mean, I was emailing every single person I knew that I, I'm, I'm a freelancer now, and I'm free for work, and here's my website, and here's my resume, and you know, just shouting from the rooftops. But even still, it takes time, because mm-hmm. people will think of you when the time is right, but it might not be on your timeline. But I'm having a bit of a hard time because I'm not, for the first time, I'm not, going into my office every day, right. and that was... Finding like, a new routine. Yeah, that yeah. was part of my ritual. I loved my coworkers at Vogue. I loved... They were, like, part of my family, and, you know, every morning we would have our coffee and kind of catch up as we were checking our emails and, you know, thrust into the day together, and I didn't have them, and I genuinely miss them. I'm like... I would email them and be like, I don't think it's normal for people to miss their corporate coworkers as much as I miss mm. you guys. Yeah. And... Um, you know I was again it was a new routine I didn't have anywhere I had to be and I wanted to do work but there wasn't really enough work I had a few projects from Vogue that I got to finish up for a couple of months so anyway it was a tough transition I wasn't nuts about San Francisco Um, I missed Brooklyn you know I just missed the conveniences of New York Um, and then we go to LA and that we were there for a month and then basically the tour sort of from that moment forward the tour was like Week by week by week. So, finding a process and a rhythm has been, I mean, like a, it's like an art within itself because I was so rarely in the same place for more than a couple of weeks. I mean, even now, 15 months later, the longest I've been in one city is four weeks. Wow. In 15 months. So, once after we left LA, it was, um, you know, a week in San Diego, a week in Denver, a week in Seattle, a week in Salt Lake City, then it was Christmas, then it was, um, you know, I was home for a little bit and then I was, it just was, we were all over the place. Um, so my, which sounds very exciting, but it's probably very challenging in any sort of routine and career. It is. And, and freelancing, you know, eventually it picked up. Um, I feel like once People came back from the new year. Uh, I slowly started getting clients. And I also am just so grateful because I have... I don't know if you have people like this in your life. Um, but they're almost just like your like your guardian angels. You know, they're your... Um, Cheerleaders? Yeah, just like your champions. And for whatever reason, they just want to help. They just mm-hmm. are constantly... I mean one of them is my associate publisher of Vogue uh, this woman named Kim Fastingberg and she is amazing and she's just one of those people that is always recommending me for work. Yeah. I mean she's always passing my name That's along. Great. She's she and and, and it's like one of those things where it's like she has I mean yeah she likes me and I like her very much but you know she really has <laughs> been such a champion and I have, um, so Laura, who actually was the editor on my soul tattoo piece for Refinery, she's another one of of those people who just has always, um, like, championed my work, Mm -hmm. and and whatever she can do to facilitate or to help, and she's also an amazing editor, and and I am so grateful to her for that, but, um, yeah, I don't know, I just have been very lucky to have those handful of people that are constantly being like, you're doing great, and, you know, of course, like, let's get you this job, or let's publish this, or whatever, and, uh, that was helpful, so, yeah, the, the routine is, it's, I have to say, it's very, it's so different, the routine is no routine, um, I do sometimes just have to force myself to sit down and slog through the shit, um, I, and, and, I mean, the great thing about, the the great thing and the difficult thing is now I have an actual steady freelance career, but now I have to balance my time between doing the work that makes me money and then writing the creative work that, Mm um, you know, whereas I was do before I was doing the creative work on the side, but I was still getting a regular paycheck every two weeks. Now I'm having to make sure that I keep up with all of my, and I have multiple clients, which is so great, but you know, keeping up with all of my clients and the multiple deadlines and, um, And then, of course, just chasing your invoices and then finding your work. Yeah, Yeah. all of that stuff. Um, Making sure that, you know, just just life stuff and then balancing that with um, carving out time to be creative. And sometimes I'm in a city that I'm, you know, sometimes it's just hard to focus. I think that's probably the biggest challenge is... um, my husband and I have gotten really good about every new city we get to about sort of immediately jumping into our routine. Like we, we get to a place, we immediately unpack everything. That's we put great. all of our toiletries in the bathroom. We hang up our clothes and you then make we make yourself a little home. Yeah, we do. Cause yeah. you have to, or else, um, I, I travel with full size beauty products because that is, it's like the one constant that I have in every city, yeah. you know, I, it, it's, yeah, it's tough. Um, But I have always thrived in change, and I like new projects, and I like changing spaces, and so it has worked in my favor. It's only been in the last two months or so that I'm like, oh my god, I've got to get my own bedroom. (laughs) I've got to have my own bathroom again, you know? Yeah. So, (sighs) is the tour continuing? So, um, no, the tour... the. Broadway show ended in July, and then we took... What July- was the show- television on the show? that. Oh yeah, year? it was Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Very cool. And it was, uh, it's a, an amazing show. It was, it's truly very special. And that was a, oh, talk about journey, that was a very long journey. I mean, he got the call to see if he was interested in joining the band on stage in 2013. So he plays the... So the show, there's only six people on stage throughout okay. the entire show, and there's Hedwig and Yitzhak, who are the two main characters who are actors and have amazing voices, and then there are four band members, and they play a live show. So they play, I think it's 12, 11 or 12 songs. Um, and so my husband was, his character's name was Christosoth, I don't even know if I pronounced that right and um he is he plays electric guitar in the show and cool. so he was the guitar player um and it's such a special show and that was it was so amazing to be a part of that and you know the show on Broadway kicked off with Neil Patrick Harris and then it was Andrew Rannells and then it was Michael C. Hall and then John Cameron Mitchell came back and um and then Darren Chris and then Tay Diggs and I was gonna say I knew Tay Diggs wasn't. yeah so that was he was like the final Hedwig um and so then the show ended and we were still living in New York. And that was sort of like a throwaway year after that. And then the, the tour started. So it was 10 months of touring. It ended in July. And um, July and August, we both sort of, at that point, freelancing was going pretty well for me. So I, we would go to like our beach house, which I am, again, so grateful to have this beach house that we could go work at. Um, and I continued to travel a bit, and my husband started working on his. So, he just in September released his first ambient record. He's an oh, ambient composer. Cool. And um, it's beautiful. It's called Now is the Last Best Time. Cool. And it? yeah, it is um, about the Alzheimer's caregiver experience because his yeah. uh, mother has been caring for um, her husband who oh. had Alzheimer's, has had Alzheimer's for quite some time. And obviously, with my grandmother, it's just a very important theme that has run through our relationship. Um, but it's a beautiful ambient record, and so, in July... So what does that mean? It's
0: ambient music for caregivers?
1: Or that's... No, it's just that the inspiration for the record was about
0: the experience
1: that... It's... It really never ceases to amaze me. I mean, obviously I'm biased, because I think that he's magnificent, um... But it is amazing to me because, you know, my medium is words. And so, and, and before that it was dance, it was choreography. And um, so in a way I understand how you translate emotion. Like for me, it was translating emotion through my body. Mm-hmm. And now it's translating emotion through text. But to see him, he's got all these pedals, you know, all this gear. And he's got his guitar and he's got all this, the microphone and his and all these things. And to see him... Work. It's like a mad scientist. It's crazy. And to see him create sound that can evoke an emotion that, I don't know. And I've always been kind of a sucker for that type of music, for instrumental music. Yeah. And for, I was a big fan of the album Leaf when I was um, younger and uh, have always been a fan of instrumental music as a dancer, I guess. But anyway, um, so yeah, the the, the album itself is all about, um, kind of like evoking that emotion great. that you experience as, a, as she was a full-time caregiver for her husband. Um, anyway, so when we went, so July, the show ends, we went and just kind of worked on our own projects. He started working on a new record. Um, I was just freelancing and writing and it was so cute. <laughs> I told him I was having a really hard time getting motivated to start doing some of my creative writing and I wish I had more exercises. And so he took a pack of note cards and he wrote writing prompts wow. for me, like well, that's 30 writing prompts. Yeah. And he would give them to me every morning oh, and he'd be like, you so good. And he's like, it doesn't matter how long you do it. It can be 10 minutes. It can be an hour, you know? So, so um, good. so that was, I guess, part of my so process supportive. for a little bit. So supportive. Um, and do you listen to ambient music while you write? Do you listen to music? I listen to a lot of Max Richter. Uh, when I write, I listen to my husband's record when I travel, when I fly. It's very so his his sort of the music that he is naturally inclined to create is very dreamy and ethereal. It's beautiful. Cool. I'm so excited to listen. yeah, his this record is some of it is a bit dark, but it's still very beautiful. Uh, but the the what he usually does is this just really. Sort of dreamscapey type. Cool. It, but that sounds cheesy. It's not cheesy. It's very good. No, but, that's so cool. Um, but uh, so,
0: where was I going with that? So, the, what you're doing now? Are you going to put roots down somewhere? Right. or Are you guys
1: going to keep traveling? So, he just finished a tour with Tegan and Sarah. He cool. um, was yes, he played with them for the I con. Love them. Yeah, they're amazing and also so lovely, cool. lovely ladies. And so he. Played in it was like a five week tour I guess so he just finished that a couple of days ago, and now we have to decide where we want to live. Come
0: to New York, (laughs) live in New York. So we. Well, what I think, (laughs) what I think, we're
1: basically torn between LA and going and having a house in upstate New York. Cool. Um, And I don't think I can come back to New York because sort of what you were saying earlier about. it being an adult playground for children, the minute I left, I realized that I am the type of person, that it's just, just, I have to accept it, it is my cross to bear, if there is a bright, shiny toy to play with, I will go to it. It's very distracting. It is so distracting, and I was so, this is a whole other thing, I was very fearful of leaving New York for years, and I think a lot of people... Um, get in this. I'm place. fearful, and I just got here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you, New York has this way of just sinking its teeth into you, and yeah, it's like, you're like oh, down. You're like Strangers. I hate it, but I like it, you yeah. know. And it has this way of convincing you that no place is going to be as good. That yeah, nowhere else is as good. And to be honest, I spent 15 months traveling the country, and I still believe that New York City is the greatest city in America. That is not to say that there are not tons of other amazing cities, and that was something that I truly did need to see for myself, because I had yeah. kind of been brainwashed into thinking that New York City was the only city, and it was, you know, the only place to be, and who will I be without New York City? And, and it it was all, part of your identity. Absolutely, and it was so deeply ingrained into my identity. I had only lived in New York as an adult woman. I moved here, you know, when I was 22, and I left when I was 33, and I was so afraid of who I would become when I left. Which is, in hindsight, a crazy thought. Like, I had this idea that I would leave New York a writer and that I would somehow end up like an architect. Like, no, yeah. I'm still the same person. I still do the same things. I still like the same things. You can take the girl out of New York you can't take New York out of the Right, <laughs> exactly. And I went to all these amazing cities and I realized, like, there's the same type of pockets of people in every metropolitan city. I mean, even in Salt Lake City, I was like... Oh, I know that. I like. I know these people. Like these are yeah. my people. You know. Yeah. And I found that all over America. So it did that. That was great. But I also left New York, and for the first time in a very long time, I could hear my thoughts. I could sit in silence. I wrote that down something I read in one of your essays. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even know where I where I wrote that. But I, I could I could hear my thoughts, and I liked it. I I felt. For the first time in a long time that I had reconnected with, and and this has actually a lot of this um, I realized after my reading with Ash and getting my soul tattoo, is that I had, his podcast guest, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I realized that towards the at my end of my time in New York, I had just completely lost the connection to myself. I had, I didn't, I didn't hear my gut anymore which is was very strange because my whole life I always really prided myself on following my gut and my heart like I never made decisions really from a logical perspective ever I always made them because deep down in my gut I just knew that this yeah. was right for me you know that this was going to make me happy or at least it would take me in the right direction to discover something else and I I don't know I just to and I think this is a thing that happens as you get older in general you become more afraid of risk because you have more at stake because Mm. you've worked so long to accomplish a certain thing and I had genuinely worked very hard to accomplish a particular life that I had been living in New York and but I had also completely lost this um, this connection uh, to the things that I wanted I, I almost I couldn't if someone had asked me what do you truly want I would have sort of blurted out a billion things, and I wouldn't have been able to decipher which ones I wanted more or less. I just didn't know, and I, I knew that I needed to leave New York for perspective. I knew I needed a break, and I was so afraid of leaving because I thought that I would lose all of my inspiration when I left New York, because New York is such an inspiring place, and the people are so, you know, yes, they're individually, so many of the people that reside in New York are magnetic and exceptional people, because you have to have this sort of gumption, is what my old boss used to call it, to the gall to even try to exist and succeed, um, but as a collective energy, you know, the people make the city so radiant, and it's just like sparks, you know? Yeah. And I was so afraid of leaving that. I was so afraid of not having that inspiration. But then I left and I thought, oh, you know what? This is actually really good for me because I'm just the type of person who will never stop chasing the thing. And I have to be forced to be alone. I have to be for. And I love to be alone. I don't hate being alone. I I genuinely enjoy being... I relate to that so much. Yeah. But I also love people. I mean, this is, again, like connection, you know, coming back to... And New York is, New York City, there's no better place than to connect with a billion people every day. You're walking down the street and you're connecting with...
0: There's an event, there's a thing to go to, and I think what I've noticed from being here is that people want to say yes more and go to things because I think we live in such small spaces that we want to be out and doing things, and it costs so much to live here that we're like, okay, let's actually take advantage of it, and... I it's so funny that we're having this conversation because I've been feeling that same sense of distraction and just unfocused. And that's something that, like, before I moved to New York, I was still feeling that, like, sense of being a master of none and, mm-hmm. and a little bit, you know, scattered. And then when I moved here, I felt that even more. And I thought, oh, maybe it's just because I just moved and I need to get grounded and, like, figure out my life here. And it's starting to come together a little yeah. bit. And I think the seasons changing have helped. But for the most part, it's just very distracting. Because there's a thousand coffee shops I could Sweet. go work from. There's a million co-working spaces. There's a million, like, oh, things I could wear and do and eat. That it's just, like, my willpower <laughs> is going to my decision-making and not my work. Yeah. And it's just making me feel a bit
1: Well, and being you, like you are, you still ha- you have so much to experience. Like, even at 33, I at least had, I mean, just walking down the street, I was like, I used to hang out at that bar when I was 23. I've been to that Mexican restaurant. I used to get pizza at this place. You know, when I was 23 and 24 years old, all I did was hang out in this area. Like this was my place. And then, you know, I lived on the Upper East Side and I lived in Fort Greene and I lived on First and First. And, uh, you know, then I lived in Williamsburg. And so I at least felt like I'd I had my places. I yeah. had my favorite spots. I had my favorite restaurants. And I'm I was like still figuring and it out. I, if I were in your shoes, oh my god, my brain would explode every yeah. day. There's
0: too much to see. There's too much, <laughs> and it's amazing, and I love it. But it's yeah, it's it's a, and so. What I wrote down was from your your essay on self care, which I loved, and I'll I'll post about it. Thank but you. I think you kind of covered a lot of the notes in it. But I wrote down. You wrote about creating space for yourself, and you said that for the first time in years you could hear your thoughts and you learn to focus your energy differently. So, where where are you with that now? You know, with I I wrote this down but I relate to that mm-hmm. deeply, like I said, and, and you also said I think in that same essay which I thought was so great, you said you decided to treat yourself with more compassion and kindness, which in turn would help you do that for others. And I just... I thought that that was so brilliant. And this was another thing I wrote down from that. It it basically, like, annotated the entire thing, apparently, but it was so good. (laughs) You said, Maybe I ought to stop running from whatever fears and insecurities I have yet to realize because they manifest themselves unconsciously in my bad behavior and start confronting them. Maybe I should start this journey and have a little patience for myself. Things could only go up from here. So where are you with that now? Like, when you wrote that,
1: oh, I think it was maybe yeah. almost a year ago? A couple yeah, or ago. maybe not that long ago. But, yeah, again, I know, journey is the word we keep using. You know, it's like a good word, but like, I like, hate it. Yeah, I we know, need I know. Vocabulary. We need to think. I know, I'm a copywriter. I should be able to come yeah, up with better come, come back yeah. to us. Yeah. It's um, in the subtitle of my book, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just... I just realized so much about myself when I left New York. And not that everybody has to leave New York, but I personally had to get away from this life. And um, I just needed to be with myself for a bit. And I realized that I had been using so much energy here to exist, to get on the subway at rush hour, which I have always hated. It's always been something that made my... Blood boil. Some people, I mean, nobody likes it, I think, but <laughs> people tolerate it. And I just, I got to a point where I had been tolerating so much that I genuinely hated. Um, that it had it had absorbed all of my energy, and I didn't have energy to give to strangers anymore, and I hated that. Um, and when I left New York, I yeah, I don't know. It was just like space opened up, and I had patience all of a sudden for I had patience to pull back when I was lit up you know I had patience to talk myself off the ledge on my own I had um I don't know I just having space to recognize my own thoughts it almost sounds like a like an active meditation in a way but it's mindfulness yeah it was just the first time that I had um White space. Yes. Extra space. Yeah. I didn't have that for so long when I lived here because between work and then, of course, I... In my free time, I always felt very guilty about... Like I'm a ver- I'm, Like I said, I'm a very bad movie watcher because my thought is if I have enough time to watch a movie, then I should be writing. Like yeah. I should be working on my stories. I should be working on this. And so it was very hard for me to relax and... Um, so, yeah, so I, I reference, I think, in that self-care um, piece about my friend, Missy, who told me to hold myself with compassion, mm. and she said this to me at a time in my life when I was acting like a maniac, <laughs> and I was being very hard on myself, because I, I, was, I was being very selfish, and I was um, just kind of like a hot wire at this moment in my life, and just like, hold yourself with compassion. I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I didn't get it and it made me angry because I was like, I don't understand this like crazy cosmic bullshit that you're talking about. Yeah. And it, one day it just clicked that if I just am a little nicer to myself, like why am I being so mean? And it was, it's not even conscious. I didn't even know I was doing it. But then the moment I sort of was like, ah, give yourself a break. also just slow down. Yeah. Don't try to fill every second of your day with something. Be okay. with This is so what I need to hear right now. Yeah. And a lot of it, um, a lot of it, I, because I was a dancer, I think I just am very connected to physical activity. And, um, it is, it really is a very therapeutic thing for me. If I go more than, like three days without sweating in a workout, it makes me feel, I also just, as you could probably tell, I'm a very high energy person and mm-hmm. have a lot of dopamine probably coursing through my brain and, um, you know, I just, I had just been running and running and running and I thought, I, and a lot of this I learned, you know, in yoga is just learn how to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. A little more, and I think, especially in New York, you're constantly given an opportunity to escape yeah. from anything, from your to tap thoughts, out. You can people. look at your
0: phone. You can go to a thing.
1: You can eat a thing. Every you can second, drink. You can. Yeah, yeah. So I realized when we started the Headway tour that I was basically going to be in situations constantly that I had no control over that I was going to be traveling so yeah. frequently that there were going to be plane delays and there were going to be canceled flights and there were Which be... is actually
0: so healthy to Yeah,
1: it is. Well, and, and you know, especially cuz not again in New York, but you we have we have everything that we want and need at our disposal all the time, you know. It's very yeah. rare. I mean, I remember god when I moved here in, you know, the early 2000s I remember a time when you could not catch a cab and if you couldn't catch a cab then you had to walk to the subway in the rain and you know if you didn't have cash to pay for your cab you oh had god. to ask I can't your cab
0: oh my god you had to ask your cab
1: driver to pull over and, and hope that an he ATM? didn't leave you and you had to run into an ATM and you had to get cash like there was no card reader oh it, my gosh you know and so I don't know it just things have accelerated so much in I
0: don't even know how I would live here without a phone oh my God. like I think how about would that I now.
1: how would I get around without Google Maps
0: I'd w- have would have no idea how to I mean it's still struggle I would have no idea how to use the subway or how to yeah. do anything like I couldn't have moved here yeah. back then you I just it, it was so different
1: yeah it was so different I mean gosh if you didn't know if you didn't know what subway you were supposed to take to get somewhere you had to like pop into a deli and ask someone like hey i need to get to 86th street like what stop do i take where do i go you know yeah you you know um but anyway i guess when the when the tour started i just realized there was going to be a lot of situations that i didn't have control over i was sleeping in so many different places i was sometimes the i would go and the room would be Dirty or smelly yeah. or musty or there'd be a ton of bright light or it would be pitch black or it would be very loud. <laughs> it forced you to let go of. It just forces you it. to be like, okay, oh well, yeah. this is the way it is. Yeah. Um, and I then, so at the time that I wrote that piece, I also had just finished reading The Power of Now, which was, you know, incredible and it very difficult for me to get through again because I have a very hard time reading in the first place, and I kept having to read paragraphs over. Have and you ever over. listened
0: to? That book. Oh no! I think you're the one I that told, told me. Yeah, that this I did it. Very funny. Um,
1: but I'll play you a little bit, like after this. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but the thing that really resonated with me was when he says the reason that we um, are angry or frustrated or um, the reason we get worked up about sort of everyday things is because we are resisting the reality of what is, and Which that, is that we can't control. Because so we can't control it and that that the world is still functioning as it is around us and it's just that we happen to see it through a particular lens yeah. and that just like smacked me in the face and thought because i'm always trying my whole life my main prerogative is how can i equip myself with the right tools So that I can make life as easy and comfortable and happy as possible. And a lot of that for me comes back to just learning how to be more adaptable or learning how to be more patient or whatever it is. So that just really stuck with me because I I was like, well, if I can learn to be okay with discomfort, then I'll probably be okay. Like for the rest of my life, I'm going to be so uncomfortable in so many situations throughout my life. If I just... And I think about it, it's so cheesy to say that, you know, that it's a lot of it is because yoga, but a lot of that, and also, you know, in fitness, I mean, there are times, I went through a period of time where I struggled with a, a, like a clinical depression, and I remember I got really into running at that period of time, and I hated running, I hated it so much. Um, I would have only run if someone were chasing me with a machete, and I, but I was so sad at this point in my life that I just, again, I wanted to do anything Mm -hmm. to alleviate the sadness, to feel anything other than sadness. When was this in the
0: trajectory of what we talked about?
1: Um, it was around the time that I was 27 probably, which, I look back now and I'm sort of like, now that I'm all like, you know. Into this cosmic stuff, I'm like, well, maybe that was my Saturn return. Yeah, I read that it was a little early. Yeah, Yeah. which might have been. But I went through. It was the weirdest thing. It was as though the fog came over me, and it stayed there for nine months, and then it lifted, and it lifted gradually. It wasn't. But um, I had. I actually, it probably started around the time I was 26, and I had been dating this guy. Uh, For about three years, and I was so in love with him, and I so badly wanted us to be together. And but deep down, I think I always knew that maybe he wasn't the right guy for me. I think I just was so enamored with he was he was a very good boyfriend, and he was a very nice guy. And I think I was also just enamored with this idea of him to the point that I, like, didn't care that maybe it wasn't a perfect match. I just wanted, yeah, you know, as you do <laughs> at times in your life. And You um, wanted
0: the support
1: and the security. I just Yeah, I just, I could envision a very happy life with him. I could envision, I don't know, I don't know what it was. And I guess maybe part of it is because at that time I was still actually figuring out who I truly was. Mm-hmm. Um but you know you don't know that you're incomplete until you in, in, until you're older and then you look back and you go oh well, I was not a whole person then but at the time you think like well I feel pretty whole I feel okay um, and so i have been with this guy for about three years and we broke up because I realized one night when I was drunk <laughs> one of the only very like clarifying things or moments of clarity that I have probably had. Um, I just had this epiphany, and I was like, you know what, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't love me the way that I want to be loved. He doesn't Mm -hmm. love me in the same capacity that I, and I think he loved me. He loved me very much. I think he loved me as much as he was able to love me, but I'd had a a boyfriend before him for a very long time, and it was a very volatile, um, very unhealthy relationship, but I had been in a relationship in which I had seen the way a person can look at you Mm -hmm. when they just think that you have hung the moon. And anyway, that first relationship that was very volatile, There's no way that that would have ever worked out. But I had experienced that light and I had seen that connection. It's like
0: you almost needed to
1: merge those two relationships. You needed both sides. And I just knew what that look was like. And this guy that I'd been with for three years, he never looked at me that way. And it's a good thing, even though that relationship
0: was terrible. It's a good thing you Absolutely. had it because you knew. It's that funny. It I was
1: just talking about it because that guy. We are still friends, and I was I saw him when I was in LA, and we had we did not have this discussion. But I was telling a friend about this about how like fortunate I feel to have had this oh, awful relationship. But, one, it taught me about the things that I didn't want in my future relationships, and it, but it also showed me what that very intense love looks like. Yeah. And, in a good way. And, um, so this guy, I, you know, he did... T- I'm babbling. As you can tell... This I'm is a great. very elaborate storyteller. You're right. I'm right. so sorry, people who are listening. This is amazing. Um... Anyway, he, we broke up um, because I realized that he was never going to look at me that way. It had been three years, and I was like, look, it's just going to get harder from here. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and think that I am the greatest thing that ever happened to you. So it was tough, but we broke up. Um, but then something happened a few months later, and it wasn't because I was... My mom thought that I was, like, mourning the breakup, which was not the case. I, and I didn't know how to explain to her that just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just felt incredibly depressed. In a way that I had never, in, a, in a, I had never experienced sadness like this, of this weight. Career-wise, are you at Vogue right I now? was at com, okay. And it was, um, and I don't know if maybe it's because there was that transition of trying to figure out, I, I felt, I just felt, I did feel very lost because I knew deep down that I wanted to be writing creatively. And, and at the time, I thought maybe I wanted to go to a magazine that I wanted to, I never wanted to be a journalist but I did think that maybe I wanted to be an editor, and I thought that I wanted more freedom to be writing at a magazine, on a write, like writing longer form mm-hmm. pieces. Um, and so I really struggled with that, and you know, at the time, I thought, well, I have this job that is comfortable, and I'm, I get to write every day, but it's not really fulfilling me, and I, at the time, I didn't really have the vision of knowing exactly what kind of creative works I wanted to write. And so I think I was feeling a little lost, you know, 26 is, I'm, you know, from the South. And so 26 in the South, like you're married with a baby already. And I was single and it sounds ridiculous to say that now because I'm like, 26 is a baby. You should not be allowed to get married (laughs) at 26 years old. But, you know, at the time I felt like, oh gosh, like I thought I would be married by now because I grew up in Mississippi and everybody is married by now. And, um, so I just was dealing with some growing pains and I just, um, yeah, I don't know, I fell into this deep, deep depression, you know, the, the your classic symptoms of depression, you're crying for no reason, you literally bursting into tears, and, and it's like, what's wrong, and you ask yourself, and there is nothing, nothing is wrong, nothing is wrong, and then you feel guilty, because yeah. you're like, why am I so sad? And it's a so cycle. Cool. There's nothing wrong with me, there's nothing wrong with my family, yeah. My everyone is healthy, everyone is happy, why am I so sad? And then began sort of the panic attacks and the anxiety like the, the feeling of like a brick on your chest all the time and that you can't ever catch your breath and then I started having these small actually it only happened a couple of times where I had a full-on panic attack um but it was like I was constantly fighting it um because it was one of my triggers was large crowds of people, so commuting to work in the morning was a yeah. very, very <laughs> stressful experience, and I would listen to, have you heard of the band uh, Fortet? Um, there is a, they are like a electronic um, band, and most of their work is instrumental and electronic, and uh, they have this song called She Just Likes to Fight. And for some reason, there was something about this rhythm and this song that was very soothing to me. And it was it was just rhythmic in a way that was just rhythmic enough to keep my attention. And I would listen to it every morning and every afternoon when I would commute. And sometimes on repeat because it was like the thing that kept me from having a meltdown on the train. I also, I hate cold weather. And so this was also yeah. happening during winter. And so that was not helping um. anyway so that you know I would avoid people's calls I didn't want to do anything I didn't want to see anyone and um, and you don't know how to explain it to other people because you feel like you're not justified in your sadness and you feel um, again the guilt and just on and on and on um, and then there was a period of time when so then at that point my mom was very upset and wanted me to see someone and I refused obviously because you're like part of you is so in it that you don't want help you know you're like I don't want and maybe it's partly because you're embarrassed partly you're ashamed partly you're just if you've grown accustomed to the misery and you don't know what you'll do without it Mm. you know and I think a lot of times that we become so familiar with these emotions even the negative ones that we don't know who we'll be when we don't have them to to rely on and I think that was probably a lot of it Um, and then there's, I won't even get into all of it, but I, it was also during a period of time when I was, uh, for the first time in my life, like sexually liberated. And so this was the first time that I, I really kind of discovered myself like as a sexual person. I mean, I had, you know, had sex with my boyfriends, but, um, it was, and I wasn't like running all over Manhattan. (laughs) But I was, you know, I was sleeping with different people and, um, was very detached emotionally from people, which in a way that made it very easy to sleep with people. And, um, yeah, I don't know. So then there was a part of me that, and I think a lot of it, again, I think the sex was an escape. It was an escape from feeling the misery of the sadness. And, um. So that became a very important part of that period of time. And so after about eight months, my mom was really adamant that I see someone and that I get on some medication. And I did not want to do that. And I refused and refused. And finally, she just like called someone one day and she was like, you have a prescription. Oh God, what was it for? It was a prescription for, if you said it, I would know the name of it, but I can't think of it. It's, the, it's one that is sort of double, it, it like um, suppresses anxiety, but also helps with depression. And it's something with an L, I think. But it also, one of the side effects is that it severely tempers your sex drive. And I was like, that's all I have left. Like, yeah. I have a shell of a human. Like, if I cannot, like, escape from this one form, um, you know, and again, it, it sounds terrible. It sounds like I was, like, you know, sleeping with someone, like, a different person every night, which I was not. But, um, you yeah. know, it was, I don't know. It was. A, it was, that was a turning point, though, because I guess I sort of felt like I'd been faced a little bit with an ultimatum. Like, you either need to get on medication or you're going to have to somehow find your way out of this depression yeah. it was like it was like people were on to me at that point I had been avoiding their calls long enough I had been sort of like hiding out in my east village apartment long enough and um I don't know after about a month it was like things started to get easier and then the fog gradually lifted and then so you didn't take the medication I didn't take the medication I just was like really didn't want to do, and I'm not anti-medication at yeah. all I think that medication is great um if you feel that that's what you need. Yeah. Did you go to therapy? I didn't. (laughs) What
0: do you think got you out of it?
1: You just made a choice? I really don't know. And maybe I really don't know what happened because, you know, I didn't feel like I had a choice. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's the weirdest thing and I have no idea how to explain it because I remember getting to a point in my depression where I thought to myself I genuinely believed well this is just the way it's going to be for the rest of my life like I will never know happiness (laughs) it sounds so dramatic but I truly believed that I truly believed that I would never feel happiness again that I would always feel lethargic because the way that I like to describe it is that I felt so lethargic on the outside I felt like as if I were sort of floating through the world unseen like just almost like an apparition but on the inside I felt like someone had trapped me in a box and I was like banging on the box and screaming to get out but you would have never known that by my demeanor and the way that I sort of carried myself it was just like yeah. the strangest thing
0: yeah so when did you
1: meet your husband and that I met him not long after that actually and um my, he was playing guitar with a very talented and beautiful musician named Holly Miranda. And I met them through my best friend, Julie, who lives in LA. Cool. I think the one that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, she was managing Holly at the time and she begged me to come. This was during CMJ, which you, they just had a CMJ in October. I guess they're still doing it. I assume it's like a music festival in New York and they were playing CMJ And Julie begged me to come to this loft party in Bushwick. And this is 2010 Bushwick, okay? Like, there was a Roberta's, and that was it. I mean, it was, like, factories, Roberta's, lofts, you know, that, like, I don't even know what was going on. And, um... I, she had been asking me for quite some time to come to Holly shows, but because I had been depressed, I had basically been ignoring her <laughs> and I didn't want to go do anything, but I, she says, if you do anything for me, please come to the show tonight. I really need you there. And so I do. And I took a date cause I was going out with this guy at the time, very casually. And, um, we went and I saw my now husband there and I did wow. not, um, I won't go into all the details because this is, again, a very long story. And I want to
0: hear all of it. He hates it when
1: I tell it because he's like, you could just make it about 20 minutes shorter. But in I short, the same <laughs> yeah. I saw him. I did not really even, he did not register with me at all. Um, Holly, who he was playing with, is a, just has the most magical voice. And she is just on stage. a, a beautiful presence. And I was completely enamored with her. I just was like, who is this beautiful siren with this gorgeous voice? I don't even see these other people. Um, and I ended up talking to Tim, my now husband that night very briefly, but again, I did not. He, um, (laughs) to give you a little bit of a description when we met, he was 25 years old. Um, and I was 27, so it's not like I was, like, a, a wise old sage, but by the time that I was 27, you know, I I knew pretty much exactly what I wanted. I knew what yeah. I wanted. I had been in multiple long-term relationships. Um, you know, I had, I just was very comfortable with who I was as a person. I knew the type of men that I thought that I liked. Um, my husband... He was pale. <laughs> he had these. He has gorgeous, crystally blue eyes. But I was not into blue eyes. I was like always wanted to date guys with like brown eyes and brown hair. And I, you know, like my last couple of boyfriends, you know, they had like messy curly hair. And you, know, this guy had a shake head, and I was like not into it. And so that was that. I see him again like a week later. Um, Holly at that time was opening for My Morning Jacket at. Um, this is when My Morning Jacket did a, a series of. Of shows and they did a whole record each night, so like oh. each it was like five nights and each night was a different record. And so it was like I saw Polly play, then they play Terminal Five, and then maybe a night or two later I see him again at Bowery Electric. And uh, Julie invites me to the show. I see him play again. He talks to me and we were did that thing where we were sort of like oh like you're the guy and he was like oh you're Julie's friend and. That was, we sort of talked, but again, nothing, no sparks. Um, Later that month, this was at the end of October in 2010, later that month, Julie said, oh, you remember Timmy. He's playing a show at Zebulon, which is a bar that is no longer in Brooklyn, RIP, but it is in LA. They've opened a branch in LA now. And um, Zebulon was was a really amazing venue, and my husband was playing a solo show, and I went and I saw him. And I had gone out with my girls for like tons of sangria right before so it's like a hot wire coming into this bar and I again talked to him and Don't think much of it. He offers to drive us to the Bedford L um, to drop us off because again, this was in Williamsburg was kind of a no-man's land over there and I, at the time, was dating this bartender in the East Village, and so I go to this bar in the East Village, and I see this guy that I've been, you know, seeing, Julie comes with me, and uh, this is back when Facebook messages, I'm, like, so dating myself, but this is back when Facebook messages had subject lines, and he um, sent me a Facebook message, and the subject was you, and I remember being like, oh, very forward, because this guy, my husband is not a um, particularly forward person. He's very, um, I don't know the right, I don't, I don't, I don't know the right words to use without sounding like I'm trying to emasculate him because I don't obviously want to do that. He's a very very masculine man. He's just like a very, um, polite and, um, I mean, he, he's a feminist. He is, you know, very, he's just not your typical guy in New York who's going to walk up and be like, Hey, let me buy you a drink. Hey, so what's your name? You know, what's up? And that's how so many of the men, you know, had been in my experience. And so I was like, oh, my goodness. It was so it was something so subtle that he just said you in a subject line. And yeah. I was like, oh, my. And he said, you know, great seeing you. We should hang out. Um, we end up texting the next night, which is the night before Halloween. And we I spend the whole night watching the birds and drinking a whole bottle of red wine and eating a whole pizza. <laughs> and, and he stayed at home watching uh, Rear Window. And it's Rear Window, isn't it? Yeah. And he ends up sort of conning me into going on a date a few days later and I meet him in Williamsburg and we go to Fetissau um on our first date, which is a terrible idea to go for barbecue. But I didn't know that it was a date. I he had sort of been like, Oh, you're from the South. Do you like barbecue? And I'm like, Of course I I love barbecue. And so we went and we had barbecue. Again, no sparks. I was actually angry that we were on a date because I was very aggressive at that point in my life, and I was very much like this is what I want, and this is what I need, and you know, whatever. I probably terrified him. Um, and in short, when <laughs> we started hanging out, but I was very upfront, I was like, I'm seeing someone else, um, right now, and I will probably continue to do that. I think that you're wonderful <laughs> if you would like to hang around, that would be great. I would love your company, but you know, do not expect anything from me. I, um, you know, I don't wanna call you when I land in a new city on a flight. I don't wanna text you before I go to bed. Like, do not expect me to give you anything, basically. I mean it wasn't a, a bitch about it, but I um I just wanted to be honest. I wanted to be a yeah. friend. I was not ready to be in a relationship. And I to be fair, I recognized that my husband is a very special human and a very wonderful person and I knew that, um, I would totally mess it up if I were to be his girlfriend at that point and he definitely did not deserve that anyway we hung out for a while I came to my senses I realized that this guy that I was dating who was a bartender in the East Village could not have cared less about me I could have been hit by a bus and he probably Mm -hmm. wouldn't have even known and then I was like what am I doing here's this guy over here who's this wonderful amazing human he just wants to love me Mm -hmm. I don't know why I am resisting his love and we sort of grew together. Um, I don't know. It was just a very... It just wasn't your typical, like, we met, we fell in love. Like, yeah. he really grew on me. Even though I... was your next matter in love, column. I know, right? Well, and it's funny because that, that night of our first date, I remember looking at him and thinking... Because I did not have an immediate, like, romantic attraction to him. But I remember looking at him and thinking this, I need this person in my life, and I put this in my vows, and I remember thinking that I didn't know in what capacity, but I knew that he was going to make me a better person. I knew that he was going to be a really solid, and that's such a selfish way to think of it now, but at the time, I just remember thinking, like, I don't know who this person is going to be in my life, maybe a a professional partner of some sorts, like creatively, maybe he'll be um, just a good friend. Who knows? I did not think that he would be my husband <laughs> at that moment, but I remember thinking that I needed him in my life, and I was still just a selfish tornado at the time, and thankfully he was very patient, and he just waited around for me, and I would not let him call me his girlfriend. I wouldn't let him leave a toothbrush in my apartment. I was like, if you come here, you take all your things, and you leave, like, you did not exist here, <laughs> like... And wow. he tolerated all of that um, because he is a saint. And um, then one day in March, I guess we've been seeing each other for like six months or something. One day we went to a party and he just started introducing me as his girlfriend and I never corrected him. Oh. And that was basically how we got together. And then we were married three or four years later. Four how did later. you know
0: that you that he was
1: the one that you wanted to marry? <sighs> You know, I don't know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't like a moment, it was just that over time, as we sort of grew together as a couple, I just knew, I just knew that he checked all the major boxes. Yeah. He was loyal, and he is kind, he's a kind human, and he's funny, and he's sweet, and he's creative, and, um, I knew that he would always work more Mm. to keep us afloat to keep our life afloat I I just I don't know he's just a stand up guy you Mm. know and that was so important to me and I also knew that he would um, really commit to me I, I had been in relationships where I had been cheated on before and that's such a common thing you know people cheat all the time but I guess I I just knew what I wanted my marriage to look like. And I saw that he could provide that for me. Yeah. And also I love being with him, you know, cause yeah, it, yeah. so it wasn't all about, Oh my God, I love this person so much. It, there was that. I mean, I, it got to a point where I knew I wanted to be with him forever because I realized that my life was just better when he yeah. was in it. And and maybe that's such a selfish way. Like why do we get married? Like, is it solely a selfish reason? I, I don't know. But I remember thinking that he just made everything better. He yeah. made me calmer. He made me. F- he made me feel happy. He sort of he talked me off ledges, you know. He was my he, sounding it board. It sounds
0: like he balances your energy really well. Absolutely. I I just had a conversation on that couch with my boyfriend about the same thing. Of like, I'm I feel things way up here and then way down here. And yeah. I'm in a million directions, and I have a million ideas, yeah. and he's really even. Yeah. And I think if I was with someone who had my same temperament, it wouldn't work. And he told me the other day that he was with someone who had a similar temperament as him. Because I, he, he got really frustrated with me last weekend because I was walking around the city being like, I'm feeling so many feelings, blah, 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 and, like, um, and I just kept saying to him, I don't know exactly how I said it, but I was just like, you should be with someone else, you should be, it would be easier, they might live in the same city as you, like, there's so many other people that would probably be better for you, because you're really great, like, what are you doing? Like, that's what I kept saying, and he was, got, like, legitimately mad at me, and he was just like, can you please stop doing that? Like, that is really annoying, and I don't like it at all, and it makes me upset, please stop. And we had this conversation where he was just like, I like this actually. Mm-hmm. Like I know it feels a lot for you and I know you don't even like feeling it, yeah. but I actually like being around it Yeah. because I've like been with the alternative and it doesn't work for me. And I was like, Oh wow. That was such an aha moment. And it was yeah. like a breath of fresh air of like, Oh, I can stop. Like he's, he's into this. Yeah. You know?
1: And for me, long term partnership was all about that balance. I mean, I am very good at thinking, um, very long term. I mean, I'm not too long term, but I'm very good about seeing the big picture of things. Mm -hmm. Like I can sort of, um, I'm very calm in a chaotic situation. Like if something, I mean, if somebody like, you know, (laughs) I don't know, I I can't even think of a great example, but if someone is is injured or there's like a, a minor emergency or something, like I'm very collected in sort of getting things done and knowing what to do. Um, and he is gets very flustered in these moments. In moments that go from zero to 60, he immediately like loses all composure and he's very flustered and very sort of um, sharp. And so we compliment each other that way, but like when I have these moments of, of straight up panic about- It's like over the little things. Yeah, when I'm having a moment of panic of being like, what about this and what about that? And what are we gonna do about that? He's like, it's fine. We'll change our minds. Yeah. I'm like, what are we going to do if we move to this place and we, the same way. House and we don't like it? He's like, then we'll move. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know? I'm the same way. It's like the little things that totally take me out, but the big things I can be like jealous yeah. and fine.
1: Absolutely. He's so we yeah, we, yeah, we balance each other well. And I, I just, I don't know. Like I said, I just knew that he was, I just knew that life was going to be more awesome if he was there and we're both very independent people and I I do feel like we really grew together as people because you know he was so pretty young you know when we met and um we went through a lot of and I feel like it I feel like he really only came into his own a few years ago as like a as a person I feel like he was very much evolving and figuring out the type of person he wanted to be and I think he's achieved that I mean we're always evolving right we're always becoming new versions of ourselves and I think that's another thing I think I've always um I just I respect him I respect him so much and I think he respects me and um you know we have a very equal relationship and um you know we just I don't know we see it's easy I guess that's the other way I I just it was so easy to be with him it was so easy I never get sick of being with him and I was like yeah I think this is gonna work pretty
0: well Mm. we'll stay in this topic that usually ask this with the quick fire ones but what is your greatest lesson on relationships if you had to sum it up Mm.
1: it's hard to be put in the spot I know I want to say I want to say trust your partner I have an, an immense amount of trust in my husband as a as a partner, as a man, as a citizen of the world. Um, but that said, I am able to trust him because he has proven to me multiple times that he is a trustworthy person. So that one is tricky because sometimes you end up with a partner that you maybe don't trust. I think so. The cliff note on that,
0: or the like, asterisks on that would be. Once you find someone
1: that you know you trust and you know it's right, yeah, then trust just trust your them. Like yeah. trust them. Like if they say "I love you," don't doubt them. Mm. If they say um, "I could have used that last weekend," <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If they say everything is fine, like believe them when they go on tour. Believe that they're not like sleeping with other people. Like just give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them. Um, so that for me has been a major, major thing. Like I, I, I trust my husband, and I also you know if my husband decides that he wants that he's gonna cheat on me or if he decides he wants to be with someone else um, he's a grown man you know he can make those decisions and I I guess I also I don't live in fear that that will happen I hope it doesn't happen I don't ever want that to happen but I also don't think that we can control other people and I think trying to is exhausting and a waste of our energies and um, you know my husband knows that I, I I trust him with this and I hope that he respects me enough to not let whatever because we're humans right like we are a whole so incredibly imperfect and I hope that he knows that I have put this much trust in him that where when he goes you know I'm not like where were you tonight what were yeah. you doing I'm just kind of like I hope you had fun and great. I I believe you when you tell me that this is what you did and that you came home and you went to bed. I believe that there was not another person there with you, you know? Yeah. And, um, I don't know. So I guess that is, trust has been a major, major, and that's also, we spend a lot of time apart. And so I think that in my situation, it is crucial to, to believe your partner. Yeah. um, Because it is exhausting when you are constantly doubting them and um, it's exhausting for both parties, you know, to, to constantly feel like, why don't you believe me or, um, and that sometimes I feel like maybe is like a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the what was the other one going to be? Um, I think I was going to say the other lesson I have learned about relationships is to give your like give your partner space, um, like allow them. And again, this also depends on the person and the relationship. But um, one of the Readings that we had read at our wedding was a Rilke quote, and I can't quote it at this moment. But it was basically about the moment that you understand that you know, basically, a canyon of space exists between you and another person. Then you can be happy because I'll never. I don't know. I think we have this idea about partnership that we should know everything our partner is thinking and feeling, and that we should, um, you know, that they can't do anything without us, that we need to be let in on all their all of their thoughts and feelings. And I, well, I guess that's a nice idea. I would love to, I, I love that idea of intimacy. I also think that my husband should be allowed to explore his thoughts without me trying to jump in the front seat and um you know there's like there's you know when he makes music with other people um it's such a beautiful experience and like his chemistry i mean i can see his chemistry with other people and sometimes they're women um holly for example their chemistry when they play music together is electric and it's so beautiful to me and that's something that I will never have with him. I don't play an instrument. You know, I'm not ever trying to be in a band. I will never know what that feels like to experience that with him and that's okay. You know, if he were to come to me and say like, I don't know. I feel really passionate about exploring, you know, writing a record about my exes or something. I would be like, okay, do it. Like, you know, feed your art, live your yeah. life. You know, like, as, again, of course, there's parameters of, of the things that you want to allow your partner to do, but like, I hate to use that word, allow. Like, he, again, he is a he is his own person. He's yeah. his own human. And I think accepting the fact that there will always be space that I don't get to fill is crucial because it allows him to flourish as a human. And, um, and I like to think that the more he is able to flourish independently, that he will be able to come back and love me even more. Really? Kind of that idea of, like, the more love I give me, then I get to go out and give it to other people because I'm so full of love yes. for myself and for my work and for my life that then I actually have this overflow that I get to go out and be like so kind to strangers on the street <laughs> like open doors for people and like you know not get mad when somebody cuts me off in traffic and just like wave and yes. anyway I think it's uh, that similar idea is like just giving them allowing them the space to explore their own <laughs> I don't want to say journey
0: yeah. but
1: explore their own path? Yeah their path yeah. that's
0: a synonym yeah. we can do better but we're, we're, we're getting to yeah. step up Okay, so something else we talk about on this podcast every episode is body image, mm-hmm. and we haven't really gotten into to that at all. But I want to. No, obey.
1: do you have another year? I know. Well, <laughs> we have to a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna
0: dock this boat, get but through. we gotta we gotta keep going yeah. a little bit. I'm gonna get you out of here. <laughs> you're probably like, oh my god, I was I got to, you're gonna no, get to drink with your friends and be like, I got trapped. Um, okay, so you wrote something. In a recent essay about body image, and I wrote down my favorite part. You said, On bad days I fall prey to the false idea that there's only one way to love my figure, which is to inhabit a body that's not mine. I'm so grateful for my body no matter what it looks like in the different stages of my life. That's the attitude I choose to feed. So I love how you say that you want to feed that attitude. (laughs) So I want to ask you how do you do that in such a pervasive diet culture that mm. we live in? So I usually frame this question of, you know, when you're having what I call a bad body image moment, mm. how do you not let that turn into a bad body image day or week mm. or month? So you say in this that you try to feed yeah, that. So how do
1: you do that and not let it spiral? I think I just try to get immediate perspective. You know, mm. I think about how much time... I personally, and I know so many people, and and women especially, but, you know, men can feel this too, um, think about how much time we spend worrying about our bodies, and about what it looks like, and what other people think about our bodies, and then, I I guess I just try to pull back immediately, and be like, who the fuck cares, you know, it doesn't matter, I am, (laughs) like... Why? Why? And, I, and the second that I ask myself that, like, why are you so, like, are you happy? Yes. Okay. Then what are you so worried about? You know, and I do this all the time. And I, you know, I, it's definitely a thing that I struggle with now. I'm, you know, I'm in my, almost at my mid thirties, my metabolism has slowed. And that is a thing that I am also learning to deal with. I used to have the craziest metabolism. I could just eat like a hundred cheeseburgers and then go for like one run. Like, one long run, and then I would be sort of like back to feeling great. Um, I guess I just, I recognize that this disease is a social and cultural disease. And I am the only person that chooses to accept it. Like, I'm the only person that chooses to look at the world and be like, you guys are right. Supermodels are the only people who are beautiful. (laughs) Like, I am the only person that has the attitude to change that conversation. And so... In those moments when I am feeling down, or oh god, you know when you sometimes you go into like a dressing room and the lighting is really bad. I don't. Down. I don't know if you Look at your rooms. butt, and you're just like, what is yeah.
0: happening? Um, <coughs> pro tip: take the clothes
1: home, try them on in your own space, take them back. It might take you longer, yeah. but it's all about perception. And I just, I, yeah, I just try to pull back and be like, you are, you are a healthy person. You're happy. You like your life you love to eat pizza, why would you ever <laughs> deprive yes. yourself of this joy? Like, we have so few sensory pleasures in absolutely. life. Absolutely. deny it is crazy. And, like, I also, I'm not worried about my heart. I'm not worried about my bones or my joints. Like, I, I work out, like, five times a week. And, you know, and I still am going, like, oh, I'm so sad that I can't wear... This dress. Well, like, just get another dress. Like, yeah. there are a billion things you can wear that are gonna look amazing. I choose to be upset about not being able to wear the dress or whatever it is, and I don't know. I, I think it's just like immediately shifting the conversation and being like, "What are you? What are you talking about? Like, everything is great."
0: Okay. In another essay, you wrote about body image and your story, which I really loved, and everyone should fully read, and I'll, I'll link to it. But this part in particular really resonated with me about not knowing how you should feel about your body and the ideal for it. And this is what I wrote down. You wrote, while there are loads of body positive women out there, I just don't happen to know many women personally who are wholly content with the size of their figure, be it curvy or petite, big chested, flat chested. And it bothers me. The former dancer who is all too familiar with self-imposed torment. It upsets me that I, as well as America, am so consumed with the size and shape of the female figure. And you just touched on that a, a bit. But I want to talk about, you know, with this body positive movement and fat acceptance movement and all of, you know, what we talked about. I think we summed it up really Beautifully, but how do you balance, you know, self care and wanting to look a certain way aesthetically with getting angry about this as a feminist you know. issue and a political issue? It's something I like <coughs> to think about a lot and I think you addressed it so great and how you navigate that in that essay.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um I think it is being open to understanding all points of view like I am very interested in how you know because some women are like just call me fat that's what I want to be called and other women are like I would prefer you know full-figured or whatever and I guess I'm really interested in in listening to that conversation um so as far as like on that end I guess I I think I want I want to be a student in this Movement as much as anything. Like, you tell me, like, what is, um, what do you want to be called, or what do you, how do you feel comfortable? Um, and I don't know, and I guess as far as like personally, I, I base, I base it off the way that I feel, which is a lot of times why I work out the way that I do. Um, you know, and then, and I uh, still, to this day, I mean, like like I said, when I come to New York, I basically, I might as well just, like, buy a case of wine and carry it in my purse, because I <laughs> drink so much wine, I'm, like, out with my friends all the time, um, and I end up eating so much food, like, to the point that I'm, I don't feel good, you know, I don't, but it's just, like, I get so carried away, and I love celebrations, and, um, and that, you know, I still always have those moments where I go, oh, I just don't feel good, I feel bad because in my regular life I eat pretty well and I do not drink like a fish on a regular basis especially since my husband and I have gone on tour like sometimes I won't drink for weeks and um, I think being more in tune with the way that my body feels and I still have moments where I will put on something and I'll be like I feel good like, this feels good on my body. I love the way these jeans feel. Like, I feel like I'm looking so fine. And I love that. And I feel strong. You know, I feel um, good in my body. And then I'll, like, catch a glimpse in the mirror. Yes, and I'll be like, oh, my yes, God, why exactly is my ass so about. big? Or you see a photo or the like window. Absolutely. And so I, and I just try to remind myself that that gut reaction is just a... A product of years and years and years of messaging and of of negative um, programming programming and negative attention like the only reason I think that is because my whole life I've been subliminally and blatantly told that that was not good and so I even sometimes will do these little exercises with myself where I'll wear something that I know maybe isn't very flattering on my figure, but I'll do it anyway because I'm like, again, who cares, I don't I don't hate my body. And I find myself falling into that trap occasionally where again, you know, you look in the mirror, you go like, oh my God, why are my thighs so much bigger than I thought they were? Because um, I had never identified as like a, a thicker, a curvy girl, and I don't think, I don't think a lot of people would even now as at a size eight. Look at me, um, you know, and say she's like real curvy, um, but you know maybe some people would, you know. First of all, you're beautiful. This is an audio presentation, <laughs> and you are fishing for that. I just want to tell the
0: listeners
1: <laughs> thank you very much. But like I, you know, I have this. This is a perfect example. I have a pair of overalls that I bought at Made Well about a year ago, and I love them. They're very soft denim, and they're they have like a high waisted thing, a uh, little seam here. And um, they're just comfortable. And I, they're overalls. Like overalls are the best. But they accentuate my midsection as though it were a small inflatable donut. <laughs> like it just, it just like hugs my belly and my hips in a way that ch- genuinely is not flattering. Um, but I realized I started doing this a while back because I put them on. And I had an idea in my head of what they would look like. And then I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my god, why does it look like you have a giant inflatable donut around your waist? <laughs> and I was very upset about it. Like, it looked very soft and like doughy in them. And I was just like, very upset about it. And then I, again, I just stopped myself. And I was like, why do you feel that way? The reason that you think that that looks ugly is because you have yeah. been programmed to believe... And that in other you-
0: cultures, that would be beautiful and wanted and desired
1: and and it's desired now the conversation should be changing to like I don't want to look this way or that way like who cares you look great you look great the way you are and I so I wear them I just wear the freaking overalls because I like (laughs) them and I'm like yes I know that my ass looks a little pillowy in them and I realize that my hips are on full display and they're a little squishy um No, it doesn't look like the girl in the catalog, but like last time I checked nobody paid me to be a model So I'm just gonna keep wearing these jeans that I loving. love You know and I'm like models look like that because well, like, genetically they also Work their asses off to look that yeah. way and most of them maybe not all of them For a fact not all of them do some of them <laughs> just have great metabolism and genetics But a lot of them work very hard because it is yeah. their job. Right. I work very hard as a writer they work very hard as a model to keep up that appearance. Yeah, same, same. Um, so anyway, I guess just continuing to challenge myself because if I can't accept this conversation, like how it it, basically, it starts with us individually. It starts with every person challenging their self because the only reason we have these thoughts is because you know, A billion years ago, somebody was like, this is the only way to be beautiful. this is
0: the standard of beauty
1: that exists now.
0: Yeah. In a hundred years more than that, a different standard of beauty. It's whatever is most difficult to attain and costs the most money to attain is what we perceive as beautiful. Right. And I wrote this down too, which again is probably a whole other podcast and you'll just have to come back and hopefully we'll be friends and this will happen (laughs) again. That sounds good. But I know we both went through, I call it my um, lollipop phase of... Of head being bigger than body. Oh yeah, and that whole thing. That and I think ball. I think it's like I. L- it's f- I'm fine that standards of beauty exist, and I'm going to choose to participate in some of them. Mm-hmm. Like I dye my hair, and that's Absolutely. fine, and that is a standard of beauty. It's not great for my hair, and I get it. But I'm not going to participate in the standard of beauty that includes thinness because that's not good for my sanity, right? And my right. health, you right. know. And yeah, so I think yeah. th- as Died and so I just think, I don't know, it, getting angry about yeah. this and looking at this uh-huh. from a feminist perspective, from a sociological perspective, has been so
1: beneficial to me, and yeah. I think you articulated that so well. Thank you. Yeah, I think, um, what is it, he talks about in The Power of Now, about, um, I mean, this is, in, in his case, he's talking about the emotions that we feel that sort of consume us. And I think... I agree. Like I also obviously prescribe to like standards of beauty that might be outdated, or but you know, but I do it because it makes me feel good, or you know, whatever. And I completely well, support that. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, like my my girlfriend Jessica sent me an article a while back that I thought was I continue to think about, and I am terrible at remembering the author and like where the pub, the piece was published. Um, but it was about shaving, and it was like shaving is basically saying you're not okay the way you are naturally. It's like women sort of, you know, and we we associate shaving with being beautiful and feeling beautiful and this whole article is like, actually, it's just like women continuing to change their appearance because they think that the way they are is not good enough. Mm -hmm. And it just was a really interesting article and I think about that a lot and I remember that a lot when I think about these standards of beauty and sort of how we choose which ones we want to prescribe to. And did I use that word? I always I always use that word wrong. <laughs> subscribe to, prescribe to, whatever. Yeah. We get it. <laughs> you get it. Um, and subscribe, that's what it is. I always use and I did that in a piece once and I was like, oh crap. Um anyway, I yeah, I, I think that the important thing is that you don't become so consumed with a standard of beauty that it sort of takes over you you know the minute it becomes a mild obsession that's and I also am just a firm believer of um having like a, of not I mean, never not never having but of trying to live a life that is as addiction free as possible yeah. like the moment you become codependent on something then that is the moment that we should try something different, yeah. you know, or try to wean ourselves off of that thing, and that, that's just a weird hang-up that I have, but the moment that a standard of beauty becomes such an obsession for you, um, in that you don't feel okay okay without it, yeah. it, 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 it is an
0: addiction. Or it, like, hinders your life, like, particularly with shaving. hmm I think some, compared to manipulating your size and shape on the basis of dieting mm-hmm. or, or doing negative things to ourselves, I think that is a different thing than shaving and being like oh this thing is like mildly annoying in my life right but it's not holding me back but i've also had moments where this is like long story vulnerable i guess but like i i not vulnerable like more in a silly way mm-hmm. but i remember like having, like, a weird ingrown hair on in my bikini line and being like, I can't hang out with you today because I was like, I, this is going to be, like, a whole thing. like I, And, like, nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody yeah. noticed. It was fine. Yeah. But it was, I was so in my head about, like, my bikini line. Yeah.
1: Well, that, and then there is this thin line of, like, how much space do we give ourselves to accept the things that make us feel a certain way? Yeah. And then when do we push back? you know? Yeah. I don't know that there's, like, a proper... Because it's different for everyone, you know? Some people are like, I am so physically uncomfortable with this, you know, ingrown hair that I cannot function. And in a way, you have to be like, well, I mean, I have to respect, like, that, you know, this is a thing. I don't know. And
0: then, at a certain point, too, I'm just, I'm really toying with the ideas that, like, standards of beauty do exist. And this is the world we live in. And right now, even the standard of beauty does include thinness right now. Yeah. And I don't want to participate that and, and perpetuate that, but I think acknowledging that is okay. You know? And it, it's bad. Absolutely, like, yeah. Society's terrible to fat people, and that's like a yeah. big issue. But it's, it's just interesting to
1: talk about yeah. these things. Well, and I do think that uh, all you can do is, is acknowledge it, recognize it, and ask yourself, how can I be more informed? How can I be more active? How can I challenge myself to know participate even if it's on a personal level because the only way that we're ever going to create any change is to acknowledge it to acknowledge our faults and to acknowledge and and just to start it on a personal level you know
0: yeah yeah yes thousand percent okay there are one million things that <laughs> I want to ask you but we'll do these all quick fire okay, okay? okay. So <clears throat> just say the first thing that, that comes to your mind. I'll warn you that they start out easier and they get more challenging. Okay. So just prepare yourself. Can't wait. Okay. I warm you up. Favorite color? Red. Favorite day of the week?
1: Mm. Even though I'm a freelancer, I think I might have to say it's still Friday. Favorite hour of the day? Hmm whatever the hour is that I stop working and start cooking. Mm. This is a
0: good transition. Question. Best thing you've eaten in the last week? Oh, God.
1: It's oh, impossible. My... First thing that comes to mind. First thing that came to mind was um, one of my all-time favorite restaurants is this place called El Almason, and it is in Williamsburg, and it has actually started to change a little bit. It's been there forever, but one of the things I loved about it was that it maintained its integrity even as Williamsburg has changed drastically over the last decade. And I just, I don't know, I loved it. I loved the the wine, I loved the food, I loved the the ambiance of the place. But they have two things that I cannot get enough of. One of them is an empanada with spinach, cheese, and corn. And it is one of my favorite things in the world. And then they have a truffle ceviche with red onion and chives, and it just lights me up inside so that's probably I had that like two nights ago oh that's amazing (laughs) okay
0: um what is something that you're want to be doing less of in your life Mm. repacking my suitcase something
1: that you want to be doing more of in your life uh writing this collection of essays that I'm working on what's one thing that you wish more people knew about you That contrary to popular belief
0: that I actually do like to be alone that's a good one (laughs) okay how do you handle your relationship with social media technology
1: all of that I think it's an interesting topic I try to be an active participant Um, so if I am looking at something on my phone I try to be very intentional about what I was looking at and looking for and not just going and grabbing my phone and opening an app and scrolling through something. Yeah. Um, that if I'm checking an email, I'm checking an email and then I'm putting my phone away. That's so You great. know, that I'm not just constantly... I just... Oh, God, it, I just hate it. I hate the mindless... And sometimes... Sometimes you need mindlessness, right? It's the yeah. same reason that people turn on a television and stare at the wall or whatever. Yeah. It's a coping mechanism. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And occasionally I do allow myself... A moment to be just mindless as hell, but um, on a day-to-day basis, I try to also because as a freelancer, I'm I'm constantly connected to my email, and I even often ask my clients because so I've had clients before like text, and I have asked them politely to please email me that I yeah. cannot be having my. My corporate work life coming through my text message. I mean, I I I always tell them call if you need me. Call if you need to discuss something urgent. Um, Just is more easy to get lost when it's not in the actual inbox. Exactly, and I have like a system. Um, So yeah, I try, and I again I'm I fail all the time at it. But my goal is to be an active, intentional participant, and not just constantly like frying my brain on what to look at next.
0: How do you handle comparison?
1: That's something that mm. I struggle with a lot. <sighs> um, I think it's just a constant struggle for everybody. And I, I guess I have accepted that I will always have moments in which I feel lesser. Um, but I have done a lot of reading about people's journeys. Like also very interested in how people ended up. I'm very interested in people's origin stories and how they got to where they are. And a book that was really, really helpful for me was a book called, um, I think it's called a book of, it's called getting there, a book of mentors. And it's basically these, all these really famous, successful people, Telling their stories about how they got where they are I means every everyone from the girl that invented Spanx to John Paul DeJoria of John Paul Mitchell Systems to Anderson Cooper to Warren Buffett, cool. and these people talk about um, their journey. I don't know. I think that it's just it's just also I love Elizabeth Gilbert because I love hearing her talk about. How hard writing is. and yeah. um, Once you love, feel less alone. Yeah, I, I think I, I try... I just try to remember... I try to stock up on other people's stories so that when I have that moment of comparison and I feel like I'm like the crappiest writer in the world or like I'm not pretty like I used to be or something like that, I just try to remember that individualism is important for one and also that we all are doing our own thing. And the only, like the quickest way for me to fall behind in this path is for me to keep comparing myself. Like if I want to sabotage my happiness and my goals, then keep at it. Keep looking at other people and thinking that they're doing something better than you. But the only way I'm going to actually achieve the things that I am so passionate about achieving is if I just immediately shut down those feelings of insecurity and keep moving mm. you know? so
0: well said oh, thank you. yes oh that
1: was so good okay what are the first three
0: things you do when you wake up in the morning
1: <sighs> like after I open my eyes
0: yeah just any morning
1: routines you have that Oh, okay you know, I was traveling. like usually I well I turn off my sound machine or my okay. husband turns off his sound machine depending mm-hmm. on <laughs> if I'm with him or not and I unfortunately usually look at my email first thing because it, because especially when I was in LA, I was three hours behind the majority of my clients in New York, yeah. and so I immediately check up, check should my email. No,
0: no emergencies, yeah, just make sure to make sure that no
1: one is like having a panic attack yeah. and asking me to do something immediately. For peace of mind, and that's also I something I thing. should probably be better about is not being so available, but um, I like, I like to be available for my clients, and so, um. But then I then I put my then I put it away. Like I might like look at my Instagram and then close it, and then I put my phone away. And um, when my husband and I are together, he always um, gets up for almost always gets up first, and he makes coffee for both of us. And he knows that I hate waking up to artificial light, and so if he will. <laughs> He will open the drapes, like, very delicately and sort of let the natural light come in. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and so, yeah. So, I usually have a cup of coffee. Um, and then I probably will go to and go to my laptop. <laughs> so terrible. Sometimes I'm at my laptop by, like, 745 in the morning. I'm not actually working. But I might just be sort of getting organized for the yeah. day because every day is different for me and I like to have an idea of how much time I have to write creatively and how much you know, work and how many deadlines I have in a day. So that's lately been it. It is like coffee first, um, sort of get prepared for the day. I might do a little bit of work and then I usually go work out and then I come back to work. I was just going to ask when you do your workouts because I find I really love going to an early
0: morning workout class or getting that done in the morning, but I'm also freshest in the morning and most creative in the morning and have the most willpower and discipline in the morning, and that starts to deplete. So it's like I want to use that time for work, but also it's it's almost my day is thrown off if I do it. In the morning, Absolutely. it's thrown off for work, and if I work in the morning, it's thrown off because I I wish I would have gotten the workout in the morning. So it's like yeah, well, usually, a- and
1: I do have the the good fortune of being able to work from anywhere. If I want to work yeah. from home, I can. If I want to go to a coffee shop, I, I prefer to work in a place where there's lots of other people. Me too. Um, my brother is a law professor now at Northeastern in Boston, and so I just like went went to one of the. Buildings with him, where all the students are like doing their thing, and I just wanted to be around them. And while they were all doing something, it, it was it really helped me focus. But yeah, I will. Um, when I worked at Vogue, I would get up at six a.m. and I would go to the gym, which is not something that is easy for me or comes naturally. But it was the only time that I was going to get a workout in. Um, so I would do that. But now I, I try to get a little bit of work done. Sometimes I'll I'll get up I'll have my coffee and do one of those writing exercises, just sort of flush out whatever dumb shit I would probably say otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then I will, I try to work out somewhere between, like, 10 and 11. Then I, like, shower, and then I take the rest of the afternoon to, to do, you know, either copywriting work or um, creative work.
0: Yeah, cool. So I wrote this book, as you know, about, yep. about journaling, what is your relationship with journaling? Have you ever processed through writing
1: or as um, a full-time writer now? I have tried, and I would like to have a better system. I, for a while, I was looking for online apps. I mean, or online... Um, Prompts? Yeah, there was... Oh, what is it? It's not... Is it called 750 Words? There's one where you, yeah. Can, yeah, you just go, and yeah, you just have yeah, like, yeah. a blank sheet. Mm-hmm. I did that I for a that while, um, I do like the idea of just stream of consciousness writing and just getting it because I, I do think a lot of times that clears the space for saying what you really want to say. Um, yeah, it just not... skims the pond. Yeah, it does. That's what I say but in I'm the book. not as consistent. So I will be curious to read the book.
0: Well, I always I say in the book that there's two kinds of journalers and that one is better than the other. There's the SOS journaler mm-hmm. that journals when they, like, feel pregnant with something they need to process, and they're just like, I just need to, like, work this out for myself, and I almost have to, and then there's maintenance journalers who are people who kind of write about what happens every day and just do it because Uh, it feels good, and I'm not that way. See, I wish I was that way, I also am not that way.
1: I take a lot of notes, um, I write, I have a billion Word documents that are just littered with all kinds of nonsense, and I keep a lot of notes on my phone. Me too. Um... So you're almost, like, marking for yourself. Yes. It's like, I do the same thing. Sometimes I have uh, a moment, like, a thought of, you know, sort of inspiration, and I think I'm like, I have to work this into the, because I, currently at this moment, I should not be working on two different creative projects, because that's what maniacs do. I'm never going to finish either of them, but I will, but it, it will, I'm certain it will take me much longer to finish each of these projects, because I'm simultaneously writing them, but I have this one collection of essays that I finally begun to write, something that I wanted to write for a very long time, and then I have begun working on a novel. Cool. Um, I am also not a fiction writer. I, as you know, like I pretty much strictly write essays, but um, I love the flexibility and freedom that you have with fiction, and so I've begun collecting um, dialogue and sort of scenes, so I write scenes and I write dialogue. And that's really it. I'm just like, these are the things I know need to make it in the novel. And then, of course, the essays are something completely different. Cool. Um, but... I'm so excited for both. Oh, I thank like you. I, I hope I don't die before I <laughs> publish them. I hope that someone will eventually want to publish them. I uh, I just... I re- I wasn't writing these things for the longest time, because, again, as we do, we're we we looking for ways to avoid getting the work done, and I'm thinking, this is stupid, this is a dumb concept, no one's going to want to read this, this is a terrible idea, and I just wasn't doing it, and f- again, I finally just got fed up, and I was like, well, you're never going to find out how good or bad it can be because you haven't written it yeah. yet, so I finally just sat down, and, um, and a lot of it has to do with whatever city I'm in, like when I was in Mississippi with my mom and my dad, I just had this onslaught of inspiration and ideas and things I wanted to write about, and uh, that kind of got me started. And so since then, I've begun to sort of... But yeah, so I guess... I I wouldn't call that journaling, but I do... I make a lot of notes. What
0: advice do you have for people who want to be freelancers or writers? (sighs) Um, I think hearing your
1: story is so helpful. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I think my advice is just... Oh, it's <laughs> there's so much and so little at the same time. Just keep doing it. I think. Um, I the thing that I try to remind myself is that I think being a I don't know if I should even say successful, but like being a writer, as in like actually getting the work done, I think involves. Learning how to be really uncomfortable with yourself. Mm. I think it involves learning how to be okay with hating yourself sometimes because I just think that's part of the process. Like, I think no, I don't know, I have yet to meet a writer who does not have extreme self deprecation when it comes to their work. Because how could you not? It's like you're gutting yourself open and being like, I hope you guys like it. Um, And so I guess my advice would just be learn how to sit in your own shit. I'm sorry, that is a disgusting phrase. But learn how to to be really uncomfortable. And that if you truly believe that this is the thing that you are meant to do or that you want to do, then just don't stop. Yeah. Just keep moving. you can only as long as you don't stop, you'll at least do something
0: mm-hmm. and
1: maybe it won't look like what you thought it would look like. It might be something totally different. but as long as you stay in motion, moving forward and constantly squashing your doubt, um, you'll be okay. you'll land somewhere. Amazing. And I guess as far as being a freelancer, yeah you gotta have very little shame. I mean you really have to be uh you have to hustle and you have to be on top of of your work to keep getting more and um I guess ultimately just be kind mm-hmm. and humble and just keep working really hard all the time. that's <laughs> no, all that's
0: all really good. Okay, we're gonna land this plan and okay. ask you the final question but one more thing. Where are you right now with spirituality, God? What happens when we die?
1: <sighs> okay, I'll try to make it quick. Um, that it's interesting because it, that has sort of evolved a little bit in the last year, and and it was interesting because in my soul tattoo, Ashley, one of my cards, um, that Ashley, told me about, was that I would experience like sort of a spiritual awakening this year, and I was like, that's interesting um I grew up very religious um my mom is a is a pretty devout Episcopalian my dad is my dad (laughs) and um but I grew up going to a Baptist church because that's where all my friends went and um that was very you know like hellfire and brimstone and sort of like put the fear in God in me and I think ultimately kind of ultimately did definitely turn me away um and as I, when I got to New York, um, you know, and as I started meeting lots of other people and l- meeting lots of people of other religions and denominations and, um, I realized that maybe this is what, this is why I love, um, you made it weird so much mm-hmm. because I just love hearing these conversations about spirituality and the evolution of spirituality, and so. Um, you no, know, I wish we. I wish I would have asked this question earlier. No, but it's okay. Well, I'll make it quick. Um, it basically, I sort of evolved um, out of Christianity because I just all the things that I had previously been taught just didn't make any sense to me anymore, and I especially Baptist, um, and. In my husband and I are very similar in this. He was grew up Catholic, and that definitely turned him away. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Me too. They, there's a saying that's like, there's no better way to become an atheist than <laughs> to go to Catholic school. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So, I, that said, um, <clears throat> it's been several years now that I have not identified as a Christian, but I also would not identify as an atheist. Um, I, I, I am a very spiritual person but i do not feel religious yeah and um i do very much believe that there is a greater power and i i don't use the word pray often because in my experience i associate that with christianity but i do believe that you can pray and not be a christian i believe you can you know pray and so so i technically yes i do pray um i do believe in um in a higher power. I I you know, I'm kind of verdict still out for me on afterlife. I like to be, I truly believe and this is again, this is like literally another podcast, but I very much believe in um in a collective consciousness and I do believe in reincarnation and I believe that we evolve as spirits into different forms and um <laughs> Can we just talk more? I know. there's so, so, yeah, that's where I am right now. I very much believe in um, basic principles of, so many of the basic principles of Christianity, but I also very much disagree with a lot of them. And um, so, therefore, do not assign myself to a particular religion at this point. But, um, and then at the end of the day, I'm like, just be a good person. Just yeah. be nice. Yes. Just help people. You know, just don't be toxic.
0: I think the best thing about religion or... Well, the whole reason why I think religion exists is for us to all be okay with the fact that we can't control anything. Mm. And everything to tie this whole thing and, and dock this boat and get you out of here. <laughs> it's, you know, the con- the control that we turn to to tap out of life in New York City of being flustered. The control that we turn to Mm -hmm. from an eating disorder. The Mm -hmm. control that we turn to with work or with relationships, trying to control and tap out of presence, Mm -hmm. right? I think religion exists to make us okay with the fact that nothing is in our control and we have to be okay with that, but I think the best thing you said in all of this was what you said in your essay about if you apply that kindness to yourself, you'll have an abundance that you can give to the world, and it comes back to you.
1: Yeah. I like to think that that's the way the world works. I mean, it's not the way people work necessarily, but I like to believe that. Me too. That it's it's recycling. Yes, (laughs) me too.
0: Okay, so the name of this podcast is... Let it out. And first, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this and coming over and spending so much time. I can't. I can't even like conceptualize how much time we've been spending here. But this, this is, is amazing. I apologize. No, now. you are amazing. Thank but you. I just want to make sure that I wrung you dry for all of your wisdom. <clears throat> is there anything else that you want to share, recommend, or? Plug or promo, I'll link to everything. You're so
1: sweet, thank you. No, I don't think so. I'm um oh, I am excited. Well, by the time this comes out, it probably will have aired. But my um Modern Love podcast. Oh good! I was just gonna ask you if you're gonna be on it because I yes, love that podcast. I i I already recorded my oh, postscript cool. and it's gonna air December the 6th. This
0: We'll this will come, come, come after that come after, but, but we'll link
1: to it here um so yeah that's going to come out. i'm super that's excited so that's so exciting that. yeah I no, I can't the girl that's reading it is some girl from outlander i've i haven't seen not that show i not here, not it's seen really either, good and i felt terrible i need to like watch it <laughs> that's so exciting yeah so oh that's it um yeah and just you know thank you for reading and it, it means the world
0: thank to me. you so much for doing the podcast and being here and like Okay, that was the season finale of Let It Out with Dini. Well, with me, but today's guest was Dini. And gosh, I just love her. I hope she comes back on the podcast, read all of her essays, get obsessed with her, follow her on Instagram. All of the links to her and everything we shared and talked about in this podcast are in the show notes. Please come to my website and check those out. Support the Patreon page, support the sponsors. You're going to hear about them right now. Today's episode of Let It Out is brought to you in part by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use online cloud accounting software that I use and I love. It makes staying on track of your finances simple and easy, and you can even customize it with your logo and your colors. It makes being more productive, organized, and most importantly, getting paid quickly in your business simple getting started with fresh books is extremely easy even if you're not a numbers person actually especially if you're not a numbers person it makes payments simple and easy for everyone it outsources the stuff that you're maybe not as good at and it becomes your financial assistant for 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 your life There are new features that include a line of a project, and the scope of work, and a timeline, no switching software or fussing over style and formatting, and most importantly, not wasting your valuable time. I love FreshBooks so much, and you probably will too, so Go ahead and get your free 30-day unrestricted trial by going to freshbooks.com slash let it out and entering let it out in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section for a 30-day unrestricted free trial. Thank you, FreshBooks today's episode is also brought to you in part by third love third love is a company that makes bras and underwear designed for the modern woman when it comes to bra shopping it's all about finding the right size for you and there's only one brand of lingerie that offers bras in size double a through g and they have half cup sizes And that's 3rd Love. 3rd Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit great and feel great. I love them. And did you know that most bra companies only carry 15 sizes? Well, at 3rd Love, our friends there, they carry 60 sizes, including the half cup sizes. So find the bra that fits for you, there's even a fit finder quiz and you never have to have that awkward fitting room experience again, they're just really great. I absolutely love them and I'm so excited that they're a sponsor. this year make the change that will change the way you think about bras. go to thirdlove.com/ let it out now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase that's thirdlove.com/ let it out thirdlove.com let it out for 15% off your first purchase those were the sponsors i hope you enjoy them check out third love check out fresh books i love you guys and the emoji for this episode is the i gotta look on my phone real quick for emojis but i just want to pick a great one okay the emoji for this week's episode is the rocket ship because i've been using that one and you know uh that's just what it is this week so the rocket ship Tweet that at me, comment it on my Instagram and at Deanie's Instagram to let us know that you're still listening all the way to the end. I love you and I'll talk to you in three weeks. Bye.